It's almost over for me. I can feel the life force draining from my once strapping masculine body. Believe me, I was a stud muffin in my younger days. I must share this prophetic vision before it's too late, holy warriors. To begin, a lilac grows upon the moon. It shields the howling wolf of the foul language that awaits in the approaching adventure, warning all sensitive ears to take heed of such profanity. Suddenly, a jet approaches from the equinox, carrying with it spoilers about paranoia agent brought back from the temple. The messenger passes through only for those whose eyes have already beholden such sacred text. At last, the forbidden cries of the Yamandul pop out from twilight waves. Following each stepping stone and connecting the dots, you will find opinions that reflect only the original speaker, no more, no less, that shall not belong to the group as a whole. The story that seems to have ended spins back to the place where it began. No mystery remains unsolved forever, and no answer is without a mystery. Well then, we bid you welcome into the delusions which we've chosen to accept. And now if you will excuse me, holy warrior, I seem to have misplaced my pants. If you will excuse me a second. <coughs> To begin, a rabbit jumps behind the moon. What is it that the black rabbit sees on the horizon with his big red eyes? A fish on the land has trouble when he's stepped on by cows. The playful palace where the butterfly dances vanishes away. At twilight, the cow starts it by chance and the goodness continues. The golden boxes spring at you, and then... Uh, well, <laughs> here we are. Uh, welcome on one and all to Dub Talk Classics, where we discuss some good old anime that we think has a little place in our otaku hearts. I'm Stephanie, and I am joined today by Amon. Howdy. Noah. Somebody told me that we would be watching a baseball game today? Uh, you, you, you got the wrong information. Uh, Jet. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jet, I love you. And Andrew. Remember, kids, if you're picking up animation cells from your fellow colleagues, check their fucking pulse. Remember, kids, do not be a Taro. Oh my god, he is literally every group project's nightmare bitch. Oh god, that's right, folks. I'm an idiot and decided to host a five-person episode to which we will probably have disastrous results um <clears throat> but why would i decide to take that risk it's simple really it's because it is finally time time for me to get to talk about one of my favorite anime series of all time holy shit <laughs> that's right we're here to finally talk about the 2004 madhouse series that was directed by the late great satoshi Kon, paranoia agent wow i know right if this is, strangely enough, your first time hearing about this series, here's a little summary. 
Tsukiko Sagi, a shy character designer who created the immensely popular mascot character Moromi, finds herself under pressure to repeat her success. As she walks home one night, she is attacked by an elementary school boy on inline skates. Two detectives, Keiichi Ikari and Matsuhiro Maniwa, are assigned to the case. They suspect that Tsukiko is lying about the attack until they receive word of a second victim. Soon the attacker, dub attacker wow, dubbed Little Slugger, is blamed for a series of street assaults in Tokyo. None of the victims can recall the boy's face, and only three distinct details are left in their memories. Golden inline skates, a baseball cap, and the weapon, a bent golden baseball bat. Ikari and Maniwa set out to track down the perpetrator and put an end to his crimes, but they will soon they will find out soon enough that this case is much more than they expected. Oh. Do, do, do you think that they can't do this? I think they can't do this. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no well, clue, ladies and gentlemen. Who directed this? I hope that this isn't a con job. Oh, my God. All right, why did I invite the two of you morons again? That's a great question. Lord. All right, so yeah, this is the one of four, four to five-ish, if you count Magnetic Rose, um, works of Satoshi Kon, and this is the third one we're actually going to be talking about, because we previously have talked about Millennium Actress and Tokyo Godfathers. Um, and holy crap, this is the only TV show he did, and there's a lot more to it. Um, real quick before we really start diving into stuff, as we like to sometimes point out on classics, so brief history for everybody with the show. So I know myself, Amon, and Noah had previously seen the show because the only reason why we're talking about it now, it was License Rescued this e earlier this year by Funimation. Yay! Um, so myself, Amon, and Noah have previously seen the show. Mm -hmm. Jet previously only saw the first episode and that was it. <laughs> Yep, I saw the first episode several years ago. I don't remember exactly through what means I watched it. So I went, yeah, this is pretty interesting, and I just like never got around to watching the West until Funimation uh, picked it back up, and I was like, oh, okay. I said, I figured it out because it exists now. <laughs> it's like I have a reason to watch it. <laughs> Andrew, I know when the show got rescued, this was actually your first time seeing it at all. My only history with the... IP Paranoia Agent until it was licensed rescued recently by Funimation was Anime Boston where my lovely girlfriend here made an impulse decision. Oh no! Where she got one of the out where basically out of print uh what was it? Genion? Genion. Yep, it was Genion. Out of print Genion uh, DVD set for a cool price of a Nintendo Wii circa 2007. Yeah. And I will keep that shit. I it's it's uh Love it. I don't care. I watched it with her for the very first time oh, over the I course made, of a I couple... Oh, I made him watch it with me. Over the course of a couple of trips, I watched it with her once for the very first time. She got to watch my live reactions. Oh, yeah. Then I got to watch it the second time when it briefly came back. On Toonami. On Toonami. I watched it for the second so time. I'm so happy when that happens. <laughs> to watch and discuss and talk about the dub critically, this is my third time watching this show. Yep. I watched it three times in the past, like, year? Past yeah, year. you basically have. Which is fitting, because uh, I feel like it's the kind of show where you do need to watch it multiple times to get everything that happens in it. There's new details you find no, every time. 100%. It's really fun. First time I'd seen it was a um, long time ago. This is going to show a bit of an age. So back before legal streaming was really a thing, uh, we had this thing where we would live stream 
uh, television shows for an audience to watch with a live chat to watch it. It was actually on the live stream website. And uh, oh, yeah. this is back in the um, the old D2 days, for those of you watching who remember that, the Desu Desk Brigade. And uh, uh, the person at the time, uh, who is now goes by the name of Jacob Chapman, was streaming the whole show for Halloween. It was the specially chosen mm. Halloween show to watch. Because normally we'd watch like a couple episodes of a show, but this one, because it was out of print and it was Halloween, we decided we're going to watch the whole thing. And we did, and that was a wonderful Halloween night. Yeah. And Almond, your history real quick with the show. It was on Adult Swim. And and thankfully and thankfully I I was old enough and had seen enough uh weird artsy things along the lines of, you know, your David Lynch's and so on that I found this whole thing <laughs> appealing rather than just confusing and off putting. because uh, no, yeah. in retrospect it being on Adult Swim seems weird, because, uh, you know, even in the Adult Swim days, I think they tended more towards, you know, actiony, fighty shows. Shonen-y kind Listen, of things. Adult, adult Swim at that time had your Full Metal Alchemists, your Bebops, your, your Trigons. Your Roni your Kenshin, fucking, your Yu Yu Hakusho. Ghost okay, of the Shell was okay, there. Now you're already Samurai Shampoo was there. Yeah, Your Roni Kenshin was never on Adult Swim. It was only on... Oh, it wasn't even on Tsunami. It was... Well, no, it was briefly on Tsunami. I, I think you're thinking long. of Yu Yu Hakusho, maybe? Maybe. Yu Hakusho, I think, was on Adult Swim. Yeah, you, Tsunami, one of the two at the time. It was on both. As I was saying, it wasn't totally... It wasn't total, but most of those shows do at least have, like, an action component. You can watch a fight scene. This doesn't do that. Amon, you probably just watched a Harumi Chono episode. You took a, took a nice hot sip of tea and was like, ah, yes. <laughs> That's the good shit. Oh, no. Mm, MPD for the win. <laughs> um, you didn't confirm nor deny it. <laughs> and, and, Andrew, you know, you know what the best part of this rewatch was? What? Realizing how much of the show I'd completely forgotten in the intervening 15 years? Yeah, like, it, it came on Adult Swim probably about 15 years ago, yeah, it, like, which is I, weird. I, I, most, I mostly realized that a lot of my memories of the show, while not inaccurate, were often uh, kind of... Um, I remembered less than I thought I did. And I also thought the order <laughs> of the show was a little different, which is interesting. It had been a hot minute. Oh, my entire my entire concept of how the show is paced is wrong. Oops. <laughs> My history with Paranoid Agent is very, very weird. Um, I also first watched it on Adult Swim when I was like 14 years old, and uh, Little Slugger <laughs> gave me fucking nightmares. Your kid. <laughs> that every like that preceding weeks, every time I would try to watch it, and I hear the music of like Little Slugger. I know Little Slugger's coming. I would change the channel and like wait for a few minutes and hope uh. that I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but despite that. When I got into college, I actually rewatched the show with a group of friends in um, gaming anime club kind of deal. Uh, I rewatched the show with them, and then I just fell in love with it right off the bat, all over again, and became a fast favorite. Boo! Um, I expect better from you. Listen, <laughs> listen. Fourteen-year-old Steph was still discovering what anime was. No, at that no, time. no. The bat pun. Did you not do that on purpose? No. Right off the bat. No, that was an accident. <laughs> Oh, that was an accident. Oh, sweetie, I'm so proud of you. That already. was an accident, I swear. <laughs> I just realized, I'm like, wait, I did that? Anyway. Continue. Um, Swing and a miss. No, but ever since then, I just fell in love with the show. And the more I dug into Cone as a director, writer, creator, um, I just fell in love with his work more and more. And I, oh, you have no idea how long i've been wanting to do this show but i've been waiting for it to get rescued hoping and praying it gets rescued now i can push my dream of monster getting a licensed rescue i mean, I mean <laughs> look i mean look we've already had the impossible happen once this week oh yeah that's true 
<laughs> the impossible that Megan is jumping for joy over now. What? No, no, Fist of the North Star got licensed. That too. <laughs> 2020's been a goddamn weird year, man. Enough about that. So, as always, we're going to be covering the series from start to end, discussing the casting, performances, and if the dub still holds up even today. Again, I have been waiting over a goddamn decade to see the show return, so let's not wait any longer. We're going to start with our ADR staff. Now, this one's a little bit different. Uh, we have an ADR director, and we don't have confirmation of a script writer, but there is a staff position called ADR script editing, so we're going to go with that one. So our ADR director is Jonathan Klein. Uh, and our script editor was Charlie Sullivan. Charlie Sullivan has done other script editing work for Mermaid Forest and Rumiko Takahashi Anthology. He actually hasn't done a, a ton of credits, honestly. As for Jonathan Klein, um, he his credits are also rather few. However, a few prominent ones that people will likely know. Uh, we have Melody of Oblivion. Technolize mm. and Haibane Renmei. Ah, mm. yes, there we go. Well, I'll say there it is. I knew if I I knew that one had to be brought up. So <laughs> I'm ready for this train to go insane. I don't know where it's gonna go. Just don't jump in but, front of the train. Yeah, let's not jump in front of the train. It didn't end well for that one guy. So oh, um, no, he looked okay. He walked it off pretty nice. <laughs> he walked it off. He's a him. It's fine. He got better. <laughs> um, why don't we start, kick this off. Jet, what are your thoughts on the directing and the writing of the show? Uh, sure. I'm not, like, that familiar with Jonathan Klein since, like, the only thing I've seen that he's done was Ergo Proxy. That was, like, a while ago. I do mm -hmm. recall mostly liking that dub, even if I thought it sounded maybe a little stiff in some places, and that's kind of how I feel about this dub. Yeah. I think the core actors here are all like pretty well casted. All of them deliver pretty strong performances. Uh, but the overall direction of the dub could be maybe a little mid 2000s in like a couple of places. Uh, meaning that like as far as like sort of like the one the one off characters or side characters good performances could be like maybe a little hokier than what we're used to these days. But I can I can one hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to like the transfer the core of the show or anything, but it's just kind of, like, there, I guess. Uh, Script-wise, I think Charlie Sullivan also did, like, a really good job. I haven't watched the show in Japanese, so I don't know for sure, but it definitely felt like it was aiming to be as one-to-one -one as possible. And while there's, mm -hmm. like, uh, yeah, so, and while there's, like, maybe, like, a couple of quips that the average non-Japanese viewer might not pick up on, it doesn't sound like too overly literal and it never really haunts performances in any way and the only time i could really think like there was a major like japanese -y phrase was when he's talking about the three things that are certain in life whereas like odin coming in three different shapes i'm like what the hell's odin yeah uh, i mean i i mean i i mean i've heard of odin i've just like never eaten it so, but yeah but again i thought the script was pretty solid and again I mean, it's probably for the best that the dub script stays pretty literal since having only seen the show a few months ago. I was kind of amazed how relevant a lot of it still felt, so I guess it definitely helped to make uh, both the dub and the show itself more timeless, so that worked out. So, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, on both fronts, uh, pretty solid job. This is a very alienated show, for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this is an appropriate dub. Like, uh, there is a... There's a distant quality to some of the performances and not in like a bad way but just in the sense of like things feel it kind of alien sometimes 
Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that feels very appropriate for what's going on with so much of this being about people who aren't really comfortable with who they are and what they're doing. And that's why they have so so many problems. And that's why they end up feeling backed into a corner. Uh, I'm trying to think. Like it just it it was it's it's a good solid dub. It felt very well cast. I think the writing is very strong. Uh, the show's a lot funnier than I remember it being. And I <laughs> yeah, think, I like, think, and I think that comes across really well. Like I kind of forgot how like viciously satirical so much of it is, and I thought the I thought the writing and direction helped bring that over really well. Which feels like, especially for a show like this, feels like something you could fuck up really easily and just make the most intolerable nonsense. No, yeah, one hundred percent. Because it's like Cone. A lot of people when they talk about Cone, they primarily know him for like his deep psychological stuff and his fantastical reality bending shit. People don't also know that he is. He's good at being very satirical about Japan and J- Japanese society too. And like, that's, that's, that's one of the things he likes to do. Like he he said. And so he said in an interview that he said, like, it, all of his stories, and you can look at all five works that he got produced, was that he, he begins with a matter from real life, and that could be, like, you know, homelessness or sleep apnea or what be you. And he says, and then moves from there to something bigger, create a link to a higher sphere. So, yeah, that, that should be just as renowned for his reputation as his weird, like you said, uh, reality-bending shit. I feel like Cone's reputation is this weird thing where I feel like for a long time the things that people tended to point to as like oh those are the cone movies were perfect blue and paprika yes and kind of ignored it kind of ignored the fact that he does in fact have more range than harrowing personal drama and mm. mind-bending animation uh which is a shame because obviously he's very talented and i think as this show proves he has a lot of a lot more range to him than just that uh you yeah, know i think this is like really strongly directed and cast i think it feels very appropriate for what the show is mm-hmm. uh it all hangs together very well uh, like I remember, I remember, like I remember enjoying this even as like a teenager, where you know I was much dumber than I am now. There's plenty of stuff that I probably either didn't get or I just kind of nodded along and like, uh, this makes sense in a way I can't articulate, but I'm not bored at least. <laughs> mm. That's one way to describe it, I guess. Yeah, no, this is this is uh, like I I I think that's correct. Like this dub does show its age a little bit in the way that like all old dubs kind of do, but I think like that, that's, right. that's a good strong effort. Okay. Andrew, how about you? So, boy, Satoshi Kon has a lot of variety that he is capable of. Mm-hmm. He is known for a couple different things, but, like, as you said, Paranoia Agent is basically a smorgasbord of all kinds of insane genres. Yep. Because it's most known for, like, the dark psychological aspects but it's also really one of the most whimsical comedic episodes is some of the blackest comedy I've ever oh, seen in my 100%. life. Oh, 100%. Zebra! I, I, I don't even know where to go with this, but I'll just say... So there, so for context, there's an episode about over halfway through the show. It's called Happy Family Planning, and the concept of it is these three people who met on the internet meet up in real life to basically commit suicide together. <laughs> And it is done in the most darkest comedic ways possible. It's almost like the setup to a drinking joke. Yeah. An eight-year-old, a gay man, and a fucking founding father (laughs) try to kill themselves. (laughs) (laughs) You actually does look like Washington when you think about it. No, no, not Washington. Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin, there it is. Thank you. God, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just going to say, the dub of this... It is definitely an older dub. 
For the most part, it's still pretty strong. Like, a couple of the background characters aren't the best. There's a couple of inconsistent termino- like, Pronunci- pronunciations of not even just the character names. Like, this is a pretty good dub. It's got some little, uh, quirks. It's got some little things that have definitely not aged well. It's- but for something that's from 2004, 2005, yeah. it still really holds up. And there's a couple of really strong, really convincing performances. Well, the, the, the thing to remember about this dub is that um, you've got a lot of regular anime voice actors in here. A lot of names we're going to say are people that you may recognize their name and you definitely recognize their voice from other productions mm-hmm. uh, up into the present day even. But Paranoid yeah. Agent is not a normal anime production. And it's not just the fact that it doesn't look like most anime. It also wasn't created by a guy who was really in the otaku sphere. And he's gone on record saying, like, when he was alive, Cone said that he had a lot of detestment for those kind of fans. Like, I mean, you just look at yeah. Perfect Blue, you can kind of <laughs> see that's the kind of person he detested. He he had, um, the biography had a quote from him from, like, 1990, I, when, about, um, what he, his thoughts on anime in 1998 were. He yep. d- was not a fan of it being all the same fucking thing. Uh, that, yeah, he thought that, even bef- even when he was in high school, because he used to read girls' mangas a lot back then, more than he yep. read, because he said, and I quote, I didn't like, uh, was the somewhat sultry atmosphere of boys' manga back in high school. Yep. Yeah. So. That's it. And that, that could probably explain why a lot of his, um, you know, his protagonists in a lot of his movies are strong women, actually. Yes. So why do I bring this up? I bring this up because the dub was done by people who are used to a lot of the stuff coming around the same time period, uh, like Gankutsuo or Burst Angel, and that's not really reflective of this kind of a show. So do they pull it off? The answer is, for the most part, yes, because they treat it more like a drama, like almost like a live-action drama being dubbed. There's not too many cartoonish voices, except for the characters that are much more cartoonified, and you do get the emotional strong points from characters when they go, when they're broken, when they're uh, dealing with anxieties. A lot of screaming. There's a lot of screaming in this show. That's it's convincing, but Sukiko run, <laughs> Sukiko that run. Final episode that did kind of break my yeah the the giant Maromi inflating. It's like the whole world's gonna be destroyed by a talking dog. Oh no! Here's yeah. the line: the world is about to end all because of a goddamn puppy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but that that's a good point. That uh, to the adaptation of the script. That um, the, the script is not like 100% faithful. It is believably tailored to sound natural in English. Some of like mm-hmm. uh, colloquialisms are tossed in. Characters sound believable in the accents they have, and there's not really any honorifics in there. And they even go to the pr- the trouble of pronouncing Japanese words correctly. After this, we're gonna go listen to some karaoke. I'm gonna <laughs> kick your ass. Yeah, you- <laughs> You and what? You and what slugger? That's actually a, he does. He does have a bat here. In his I room. got a blue Sclues baseball bat <laughs> with enough force it will leave a small dent. That's a that's a good actually. To bring up a point about the adaptation, uh, the in the Japanese, like if you translate the Japanese literally, the villain's name is not Lil Slugger, it's Shonen yep. Bat. It's Shonen Bat. It's Shonen Bat. Yeah, so, and that would that would sound a little silly if you said that continuously in the dub, so I'm glad that they changed it to Lil Slugger. It's, uh, it sounds much more, you know, believable for the rumor mill, so. Okay, Shonen uh, Bat okay, sounds okay, like a okay, publication. I mean, if, okay, I mean, if they translated that straight, it would have been Bat Boy, and that's, uh... Mm. Yeah. 
No, 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 They would have run into DC copyright. That would have been fun. That's a good point. No, 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 no. They would have run the copyright from the World Weekly News and their character, Batboy, who was found in a cave. This is true. You're such a nerd, Amon. I love you. You're the. You're one of the good ones. That's why we have him around because he's great. He's good people. He is good people. Anyway, Noah. But yeah, that's that's my point. Is is that I want to give props to the staff for um for taking a very unconventional uh. Uh, media that just happened to be animated in Japan. You know, it could it could have been made in live action and made mm-hmm. it work with uh, their regular staff and writers. So yeah, I want to praise on praise on that. I'm gonna I'm not gonna probably add too too much to uh, everybody's thoughts because it's been pretty much well rounded at this point. So <laughs> I I keep saying this over and over and over again. I love this fucking show. No, really. <laughs> I love this show. I love this show so much. Everybody. TLDR, please go fucking watch Paranoid Agent. Like, my final thoughts right off the bat. Please go watch Paranoid Agent. Just do it. Um, Cone is a very interesting person in how he creates his works and the different ideas and themes and his look into Japanese society. Um, and in terms of the writing, I'm going to start there. Um, I'm, I'm going to repeat what everybody else basically said. It's not a one-for-one translation, but only because they need to make some adjustments for a Western audience. Again, the whole Shonen Bat to Little Slugger thing comes to mind here. Um, There are weird pronunciations. I completely fucking forgot that Karaoke is the actual pronunciation, so I can't be too mad at that anymore. But I can be upset at Kawazu mispronouncing two different things to me, and it being very jarring in the first episode. Um, those being Maromi instead of Maromi, and what was the other one? Uh, Kawazu instead of Kawazu, or Kuwazu, or it was a weird pronunciation of his own name. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Um, but that was the only minor gripe. Um, Direction-wise, I really enjoy the casting of the show. Um, There are a lot of actors in this show that we obviously know of 100% nowadays. Um, There are other actors that barely did any anime at all and then went on to do other things. Um, Some of these are interesting, and I got additional credits for some people um, because of that. But I will also agree that this is a product of the mid-2000s, so... Some of the minor characters in the background roles aren't the greatest performances in the entire show. Um, they can be a little rough and sometimes jarring. Um, I mean, those fucking high school valley type girls that you see throughout are kind of obnoxious. <laughs> uh, drive me nuts. Um, all of these characters have problems in their own fucking way. And you can ne- you There isn't probably a single character that you will like. However, there is at least a there's at least going to be one single character at some point in the show that you're going to relate to, which is probably one of Cone's major goals. Um, Andrew had shown me this video from um, Super Eye Patch Wolf, mm-hmm. um, and it was his analysis on Paranoid Agent, and he brings that part up where basically you may not like all these characters, but you but there is going to be at least one character in there somewhere that you are actually going to relate to and the things that he's going through, which is very interesting. No, but directing and writing front, I think it's relatively solid, and for the most part, it still holds up today, um, even though it ha- there are some minor issues that do date the dub a little bit. The show itself is not dated, though, 
because another point that that Super Eyepatch Wolf video states is in its own way, Cone essentially predicted our very big reliance on social media and technology for information and the creation of this mass hysteria, which is very interesting, actually. Um, so something like that, like that kind of concept, it definitely holds up in today's modern day with all the different social medias and like it's where we primarily get our information now so i 100 percent, please go check out that video from super eye patch wolf it is very informative it's like 20 25 minutes or so i think otherwise than that we are good to move on yes. uh to our first set of characters before i move on to the characters i am gonna make this note very clear two things one we already said it there are going to be spoilers again throughout the entire episode <laughs> Some of the things we're going to talk about with Paranoid Agent, you absolutely cannot do without spoiling something. 100%. No, sorry. Um, so, please be warned about that if you have not seen the show yet. And two, admittedly, at least half of the characters that we're going to be discussing tonight, they may be familiar voices to us in the industry. However, when they did Paranoid Agent, they were credited under pseudonyms. We are going to credit them officially under their pseudonyms. However... If we accidentally slip up and say their real names, I'm not going to be mad. <laughs> because let's face it, we all know it's it's been 15 years since the show was dubbed. So, at this point, it's pretty well known that these actors have done these have done these roles at this stage. Um, but officially, we are going to make sure that they are credited under their correct names, even if it's a pseudonym. That sound fair? Yeah, totally. Right. Okay, so our first set of characters. We're going to talk about three of our minor characters that kind of recur throughout the show, with one of them being the undercover badass in the last third. Um, <laughs> so we have, <laughs> appropriately named, the old man, the old woman, and Misai Ikari. The old man is a old man who was injured by Kawazu from a traffic accident of some sort. He's in the hospital. He's also a little kooky. <laughs> Throughout the course of the show, he's seen as this sage or this grand master with these predictions of things to come. Uh, the old woman is a homeless old woman, and she actually is a witness to the first incident of the Little Slugger attacks, um, i.e. Tsukiko Saki, which we will get to much later on. Uh, and Misa Ikari, she is the wife of Detective Keiichi Ikari, who we will discuss much later on. Um, she has a very, very delicate heart condition. Um, and, again, she is the undercover badass of the whole fucking thing, because in episode 11, No Entry, that is the episode where she is actually introduced in the entire show, mm -hmm. she basically stands up to Little Slugger as he's trying to attack her. Your favorites <laughs> could fucking never stand up to, like, a concept like him that hard, that ruthlessly. It is great. <laughs> so good. So good. Um, but voicing these characters, getting into that, as the old man, we have William Frederick. That is the name that it is credited under. It is in actuality William Frederick Knight. He has voiced characters such as Tofu Kuji in Strawberry Eggs, Gordon Rosewater in The Big O, and Daisuke Aramaki in the Ghost in the Shell franchise, including Standalone Complex, and I think the films as well. Uh, 2045. Yep. yep. Uh, the old woman is Melora Hart who has voiced characters such as Kyoko in Akira, the streamlined dub of that. Ah. Uh, 
Steel Kamaki in July. Wow. What the fuck? Steel Kamaki Jedi in the Tenchi Muyo franchise, I think is the name. I might have fucked that up. And Sharon Apple in Macross Plus. And as Misai, we have Melody M. Spavrick, who has voiced characters such as Bergamon in the Digimon Adventure franchise, including the oh. Tri films. Uh, Lady Debonair in Magic Knight Ray of 2, and Torpedo Girl in Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo. Get the fuck out of here, seriously? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I found that earlier, and I'm like, shit, all right. Yo, that's awesome. Um, why don't we kick things off? Let's let let's kick this off with uh, Noah this time. What are your thoughts on these performances? Well, it, I'm glad you grouped these three together, because the, it, it's good to see uh, the... Uh, the older characters seem to be the ones who uh, resist Little Slugger's influence the most here. Like, you know, we got the old man who is prophetic mm -hmm. in kind of explaining what's about to happen. And sure, he's re he's reduced to speaking in, you know, fortune cookie metaphors, but it's still mm -hmm. kind of a it's a kind of a fun way to uh, be the preview for each episode. And that's really where he shines. Like, it's not in the show proper. <laughs> it's just in the prophetic vision portion of the show. Side note. Never skip the prophetic visions at the end of each episode. And I mean the end of each episode, including episode 13. Yes. Never skip them. Uh, oh, definitely amazing. not in episode 13. The, you, we get a treat in, episode, in the very Reason. end of the show. I definitely appreciate that you made me sit through them because it was kind of build up for the last two, which really fucked me up. Because the episode 12 one fucked me up hard. I'm like, <laughs> what? What? Steph, we need to finish the show right now. Yep. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so thank you for not putting the show on Netflix, or else nobody would see it. Anyways. Well, technically it's on Netflix in Japan, but I digress. That's not the point. The point is, is that uh, William Fredrickson is a is a pretty bomb-ass voice actor, and he's he's just got that, that consistent, uh, mysterious warble to his voice that makes everything he says really fun to listen to. Um, and it's not just the fact that what he's saying is, like, mysterious, and you're trying to piece together which animal relates to which character. It's just that it's... Uh, it's the kind of voice that you uh, you may hear in an everyday person, uh, and it's not super cartoonish while still being good. Uh, it's going to be well acted too. Um, I don't have as many notes, unfortunately, on Melora because she mm -hmm. doesn't get too much to say. Like uh, uh, to be fair, the thing I remember most about her is taking that huge drag of a cigarette when she get when we see her house. Yep. Which she's like, uh, I, she's I like, oh man, oh that that's it's so good. Haven't had one of these that in so hit, long. That hit the spot. Hit the spot. <laughs> I don't care if this takes me out. Take me out with a suicide cult. I just, I need my smokes. <laughs> she wasn't even part of the suicide cult. The, the old woman is about? like the anime personification of that one video of like the owl going, drugs. 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 <laughs> How many smokes does it take to get to the bottom of this garbage bag? And let's find out. One. Yes. Two. <laughs> two. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, she did a good job. I just don't have very many notes on the performance portion of it. It what? It's not like it was distracting where I thought that it needed to be done differently. So I guess that that in and of itself is a good enough compliment. But yeah, let's talk about the MVP, or should we say the MMS, uh, which is Melody, yes. because uh, that entire uh, section. And I remember having a bit of a qualm with her section when I saw it the first time years ago because she's basically explaining she devoted herself to being a good housewife and i remember being kind of a more of an edgelord 
person back in the day and thinking oh god no as an edgelord is a terrifying process not, not not super hardcore but just thinking that's a little condescending for a woman to only want to be a housewife but you know, getting a little older and finding there's not, there's nothing wrong with that and honestly if you find value in being supportive to your spouse then there is absolutely no one who should condemn you for that so her entire shtick like melody's entire shtick is that she just sounds nice she's like this calming thoughtful voice who's come to peace with the difficult life that she's had and then she gets an amazing sadistic laugh near the end which is so much fun to listen to it's right up there with light yagami in like great evil it's not an evil laugh but it sounds it's not evil. An evil laugh but it's a very satisfying one it's a very cathartic laugh because she's she's laughing at the concept of giving in to despair basically and she has you know some great lines like death is never the answer and you can't understand humans because you're not human so what you're telling me is she's makoto naegi's mother <laughs> <laughs> a few years I early, at but yes. For that one, because I knew he would get it. I, I can hear Fucking him. Face sure. <laughs> You're Facebook. welcome, sweetie. So yeah, so yeah. Uh, you guys want to add uh, praise or detestment to this? Go for it, because I was I was satisfied with this trio. All right, Andrew. How about you? Uh, I will say I'm a big fan of uh, William Frederick Knight's. Uh, vocal tones like the most i am familiar with him is of course as aramaki from ghost in the shell standalone complex where he's got this really he's a very stern but very matter-of-fact old man very strong and here he is playing a this man is not. he is not commanding respect he is okay he's commanding the respect of a bunch of fucking chunies <laughs> andrew andrew they're not chunies they're delusional I mean, there's they're, a su they're suffering Andrew. from obvious mental illness. That's not the same thing. There's a difference, Andrew. Okay. One of them very much so. The other one, he's basically just doing Dragon Quest. That could very well be Judy. Fair. Fair with him to a point. The, the, we'll get to that. The other guy, yeah, no, that that's that's him going. Uh, but yeah, point being, he's, he's very... Uh, but yeah, no, uh, he's got this very strange, kooky, whimsical voice. And, of course, just the sound of to begin is just very much stuck in my head now. Yep, you can't get out of your head. You can never get out of your head. You never skip the prophetic visions. Never do it. You can only get it out of your head as soon as, and then... And then smack. Smack. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, he's got a very cool tone of voice, but, like, he sounds very interesting when he is somewhat coherent but also does a good job sounding very straight up out of it like he is zoned the fuck out i admittedly don't have as much to say about melora because i'm very less familiar or really less recall of what she says she really is only in the one episode she's only in the one episode what? she's mostly present as the glaring eyes at tsukiko and but yeah, no, she's got a very interesting episode. The main thing I'm surprised about is, I swear to God, I thought she was going to end up being related to the central protagonist of the episode she was in. And that oh, turned out, no, no, it was a completely separate other family. We're going to mm -hmm. get to them in a minute here. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, anyways, uh, Melora, she did a good job. Melody. Holy shit, Melody's amazing. Like, mm. she's, she's basically in the last 
like third of the show and she steals the show hardcore yep. when she literally sees defeat and despair in its face she just takes a sit down gives him a lecture gives him her life story and then just berates the fuck out of him yep. and it's so satisfying and it's so great and she basically she is basically just giving a whole spiel about human nature and that we will not give in to uh, basically empty platitudes and we will fight through tooth and nail yep. and overcome adversity. Suck a dick, you fucking brat. It's so good. <laughs> and just the entire time, like, oh, God, Lil Slugger's getting so pissed. I love uh... the framing device of just... <laughs> I love the shadow in the door and that you see the, the screen, back. Just yep. can't. It can't reach her. It can't reach her. And it's so good. Oh, I love he framing. Get, he gets so mad. It's great. Fuck, I love storyboarding. Clearly, you like this show. I don't know if it's as much as I do, but clearly you're it's into a, it. It's okay. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Jet, how about your thoughts on these performances? Uh, sure. Uh, first, uh, sure, two of these will be real quick. Um, I don't really have much to say on uh, Melora Hart. As the old as the old woman, I mean, she didn't really have like a whole, uh, a whole lot of lines. Um, I, I, I do. I, I did. I did get a pretty good kick out of that whole bit where she was just like, re, where she was like a really long time smoking that cigarette. But <laughs> it's a, yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, I mean, again, there wasn't like too much to grasp at before. I did. I didn't think she dumped. He had like a really. He did a pretty believable job when she just like. Uh, talking with the detectives and then she, and then like just happens upon a realization like oh no like I've lost my family like I have no place to go back to I thought she sold like that shop really well so, uh, so, like, so it was nice when we got to the end of the episode and she like got to reunite with her family I thought that was very very sweet so, uh, William, so, uh, William Frederick as the old man I very much enjoy hearing William Frederick and things he's uh, he's, uh, he's, a, uh, he's a bit uh, he's a bit of an underrated voice outside of like uh, Ghost of the Shell where everyone obviously knows him as Aramaki and, uh, well, compared to that, where he had, like, a very commanding tone, this is uh, definitely not that. He sounds uh, he sounds a lot kookier and more bizarre, but it's just, like, really fascinating. Uh, I, he, like, I've only watched the show, like, two times, so I didn't really pick up on, like, all the subtext with prophetic visions, but I just kind of liked the way they sounded. It's, it, there's just something so surreal about that, it's just kind of hard to look away, and I really like that. Uh, but... Obviously, as everyone else was saying, the MVP for me in this section was definitely um, Melody Spavak as Misai. Uh, I only really know Melody for like her one minor role in Monster and Crusader Mod and Digimon Frontier. Uh, which fun fact that uh, which fun fact Crusader Mod was actually a male in Japanese, but I guess Samad was convinced that the Pink Harbor would somehow be too confusing for boys, so he got changed to a woman in English instead. Cause why not? <laughs> Localization. <laughs> Yeah. Localization, uh, it's a hell of a time. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, I haven't heard a lot of her other work, but I thought she was like absolutely fantastic in this role, and I really monitored her performance. Uh, Misa's appearance on the show mostly amounts to like a 20 minute conversation with Little Smoker, where she just basically gives her life story and the reason why he'll never be able to quote unquote save her. But Melody just puts so much behind, so much emotion behind it that she just gets across like all the pain besides gone through in her life and. You know, how much he looks up to her husband and admires his ability to face reality. Uh, she frankly might have a little too much faith in him, as we can kind of see in some of the scenes in between her speech. Uh, but it definitely doesn't make the sentiment any less powerful when she, like, 
starts mocking Little Slugger for deluding himself into thinking he's helping people. There's like a real conviction behind it. Yeah, and if you couldn't tell what the theme of the show was up until that point, it's, it's hard to imagine you could walk away from that theme without understanding exactly what Code wanted to convey with this show. And it was really strong. And this wasn't quite my favorite performance in the dub, but on a technical level, in terms of like dramatic chops, it might actually be one of the strongest. Yeah, William, William Knight's good as the old man. He's an old man. William Knight can do that in his sleep. Uh, I do like how just how authentically spacey he sounds. Uh, there's clearly something off about the old man, which is definitely why his family keeps hounding what's-his-face all the time, because they, they, clearly, yeah. they he clearly messed up Grandpa. <laughs> I'd be mad, too. Um, you know, when, when he's talking on the moon, he sounds like he's talking on the moon. Uh, Malor <laughs> okay, you can't actually he's talk on the moon because there's no air on the moon. You act like that matters in the show. Science! Malora does a good job as the old lady. She she shows up briefly and she gives a good, nice performance. Uh, and yeah, Melody's really good. It's really funny watching Little Slugger not be allowed to do the one thing he exists to do, which is hit people in the head with a bat. Because why would we let you do that right now, Little Slugger? Come on. Well, it's just, it's, it, it, it is, it is, I think as we point out, all three of these people are the people who are kind of most resistant to Little Slugger, and mm -hmm. it, it is interesting that that seems to be partially because they are either kind of unmoored from reality to begin with, homeless, or dying. So it's like, what fucking corner are you going to back them into? They're already at their lowest. Like, their lowest is their mm -hmm. baseline existence. I think especially with Melody's character, I think there's a sense that she has finally come around to the fact that, like, she's going to die. You going to die. Uh, but, like, her, her and her husband have been there for each other for all this time, and isn't that worth it? Isn't yeah. ha isn't having a life with someone you love worth it? They they have endured because of each other. Individually, they have not have let, done this well. It's sweet. I'm gonna, I'll start with Melora on this one, because Melora really is only prevalent in, while her, while the old woman is in, in, it's weaved in a little bit throughout the course of the show. She's really only prominent in the one episode where we learned, yeah, so I saw what happened to Sakiko, you bitches. Um, and her and my newest, um, she's sweet, but she's such a down-on-her-luck homeless woman. And again, I find it so, like you guys said, it's so funny when she takes the drag of the cigarette and, and like for the long ass time, but she's also so sweet when she's reminiscing about her granddaughter and all this fun stuff. And uh, William Frederick, William Frederick Knight as the old man, <laughs> he's a fun, fun guy who's some sort of mystical prophet of sorts. Like I don't even know. I don't even know. He's just, like he's he's just a little old man, but like. To a couple of characters, he's apparently, like, the grand sage of all things holy and knows <laughs> all or some shit. And it honestly, it's those moments where um, William Frederick has to portray that that I think it's the most fun for him. Because otherwise, he's just a crazy old man writing formulas all day in the fucking parking lot with chalk. Like, Oh, no, no, no. He, he, he does it inside, too, at one point. No, he does. He did it he, only once, but otherwise than that, it was always outside. It's strangely prof prophetic. It's, I don't know, but it's a fun time, and William Frederick gets to have so much fun. Like, I completely forgot that he also voiced Ar Aramaki in Ghost in the Shell. I haven't seen all of Ghost in the Shell, but I recognize that voice, and I'm like, this is different. <laughs> I don't know how I feel, but it really works nicely. It's so much fun. Melody. Melody as Misai. Melody as Misai is so much fun, because, um, she... <laughs> 
she's very soft she's very kind but you can tell especially during episode 11 where she is initially f confronting um little slugger that she's just very exhausted very exhausted very tired because she's lived this life with so much complication because of her delicate health um and she's not able to have the life or give the life to her husband that she would want for him so it's very sweet very gentle very kind but goddamn does she turn to a badass real fucking quick and is like uh nah uh no you 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 <laughs> You you uh you ain't kinda you ain't gonna kill me, bud. That that ain't gonna be how it works. I am not gonna do that. Fuck you fight me. <laughs> but then she dies of a heart attack anyway, which is sad. But um then her interactions though with um uh Keishi. Keishi Ikari when we um get those final moments where she her spirit goes to where Detective Ikari is to try and find him. And bring him back into reality. And then we just get all those flashback moments of their life together. Um, the inter the dynamic between uh, Melody and Keishi's voice actor was just a fun, beautiful moment and dynamic. It's one of those few, even though it's a sad moment, it's one of those few like light-hearted moments compared to everything else that the show had at this point. And it's a nice little breath of fresh air and a nice reprieve. And I think the dynamic worked very, very well. But no, Melody is such an undercover badass. Like, she's like, you, you and you, you're one and the same. Fuck you. <laughs> Go. <laughs> it's great. Um, she got the last laugh she, in the end. Oh, yeah, she certainly fucking did. All right. Are we ready to move on to our next set of characters? Yes. yes. Okay, so the next couple of sections, we're going to be doing trios of characters, and they're going to be actually backwards order of uh, the prominent victims of Little Slugger prior to the halfway point of the series. So, this next section, we have Harumi Chono, we have Masami Hirakawa, and Taiko Hirakawa. This section is going to be very upsetting. Oh. The sad thing and, is, uh, it is, and I don't know which of the three characters you're referring to. Yes. yes. Oh, good. Jinx. <laughs> but um, anyway, briefly, he Hirumi Chono. She originally appears as a secondary character to in episode two, The Golden Shoes, um, as Yuichi Taira's uh, private tutor, um, Yuichi, who we're going to talk about actually in the next section. Um, in her episode, the precedes that fo um, precedes follows it. Excuse me. Uh, it's called Double Lips. We actually learn that she has multiple personality disorder. There's some holes she... in this house. There's some holes in this house. There's some holes <laughs> in this house. Noah, I, I swear to God. I do. Uh, no, no, you can't stop me. Okay, we're gonna drop I one. I still have reference. the blues clues, bat. Who's clues? Who's <laughs> clues? Jesus Christ, Andrew. Um, <laughs> I'm just yeah, saying. Yes. You talk about an episode called Double Lips. We got a popular song that kind of ties into that. I'm, that's all I'm saying. But to Noah's stupid foreshadowing point, um, Harumi's alter ego as we should call i guess we can call her or alternate personality her yeah. name is maria she is part she is a prostitute and part of a prostitution ring and her episode basically is her turmoil and her fight between harumi and maria basically is the summary of that episode masami hirakawa I'm gonna say this. Everybody fucking hates hirakawa. Fuck this guy. Fuck, Fuck this, this guy. Worst dad Fuck this guy. ever. 
Oh. This dude's gonna get a couple of Blue's Clues by the time I'm fucking done with it. <laughs> oh, boy. Hopefully some blue balls, too, while we're at it. Blue's Kadoo, uh. you can too, motherfucker! So Hirakawa, he's introduced in, um... The end, like, partially through episode three, which is Harumi's episode, as well as pops in again at the end of that episode. So he's a crooked cop who gives information to basically the Yakuza and helps with the prostitution ring and shit. Uh, so he can basically blackmail and get fucking money, get fucking girls, even though he has a wife and a daughter. Uh, and at the end of it, he basically gets his comeuppance because he, uh, I swear to Christ, put the bat down. <laughs> He went and grabbed the Blue's Clues bat. I'm not kidding. No. I'm taking that from you. Give that, give, give. Do you no. have a lance? We might need that instead. Give that. No, not allowed. I stole the bat. Um, <laughs> but towards the end of it, he gets, he gets blackmailed again. He gets blackmailed himself at the Yakuza bus and he gets extorted to get money back for him being a jackass. Uh, he ends up robbing people just to try and get the money, and then in a desperate plea, he gets attacked by Little Slugger. Again, these are victims of Little Slugger. Um, Taiko Hirakawa is, uh, Masami Hirakawa's daughter. She's 16, 17 years old. Very sweet, very adorable. She's on the run during a su fucking tsunami because she finds out that her dad's a piece of shit and has camera equipment installed in her room in their new house so she, he can spy and basically create child porn. That was going to be kind of hard to explain when they restructured the bedroom. At the end of that episode, she is also attacked by a little slugger and when she wakes up in the hospital with her dad right by her side, she has amnesia and does not remember anything, which was what her wish was, was to forget everything. Long explanation aside, there's a... Like, these next several sections, the rest of these sections in this episode are gonna, these characters have so much going on with them, 100%. But anyway, in terms of who voices these characters, as Harumi Chono slash Maria, uh, we have Erica Schaefer, who has played characters such as Toa and Mermaid Forest, Lily in Spirit of Wonder Scientific Voice Club, but you might primarily know her for her TV work uh, with minor roles in in shows such as The King of Queens, Madman, and Scandal. Huh. Yep. Uh, Masami Hirakawa uh, credited, this is another pseudonym, pseudonym one, uh, Hirakawa is credited by Reg Green. Um, real name, though, is the late great Dean Bristow, who voices this character. He is voiced... Dean Bristow has voiced characters such as Sage of Gabe and Technolize, but... He has also done a few other things, primarily video games, but he had a minor role in the series Quantum Leap. And video game-wise, you would primarily know him as Dr. Eggman in various Sonic the Hedgehog video games. As for Taiko, uh, credited as she, the actress voicing her is credited as Tara Hudson. Uh, though we all know her very well at this point, and in other words, as Kari Walgren. Uh, Kari has voiced roles and characters such as Futaba in Koikaze, Saber in the Fate Fate series, uh, the affordable versions, and Fu in Samurai Champloo. Let us start with... Let's start with Aman on this one. What are your thoughts on these performances? Aside from Hirakawa being a piece of shit, which we all know about. <laughs> it cannot be understated. 
you say that, but Hirakawa is also responsible for my favorite moment of the entire show. Mm. Oh, so this is okay. also true. Okay, please talk also about that. Also very true. Please talk about please that. Please talk about that. I did right, not mention so, it. I want so to he's having he's having a breakdown in the street from all this theft and so on, <laughs> and uh, a little sucker comes up and hits him. Side note, we learn later this isn't like manifest you know de you know thing little slugger this is just some dude who's kind of had a break from reality and thinks he's a dragon quest protagonist and <laughs> runs around hitting people to bat uh as a consequence he kind of like as he's leaving kind of like turns around to look at his handiwork and uh hirakawa is fine but irritated so he takes his shoe off and like beans him in the head from quite a distance away like yeah. he a very impressive shot. That, that, it's great it's, it's also worth noting at this point uh hirakawa is drugged out of his fucking mind drugged out point. had a couple of beers at this point because he was with ikari before this yeah but um my favorite reaction though to that scene specifically was when andrew fucking first watched it oh this <laughs> uh, when i first watched it i lost my shit and my immediate first thought at him beating this kid's ass was wait he's fucking real he's fucking real what i was freaking out i'm like wait 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 he wasn't a concept he was he was a kid? He was fucking real? Fuck out of here. What? Obviously, we'll get into more about Little Slugger later on, but... <laughs> that was beautiful. my first reaction, and I was losing my shit no, that's after great. being extremely uncomfortable. That's yep. awesome. Anyway, Amon, you're, go on. Uh, since we're here, let's talk about Reg. Uh, he's great. He's, he is appropriately slimy. Yes. Uh, he's, just, he's just this awful little, like, corrupt police officer who clearly has... No desire to go any fire up the food chain than just his little security station and just telling the mob stuff and getting money out of it. Uh, to the point where, since I said, like I said, it's been a while since I'd seen this during that episode, I'm like, does he even have a wife and child? Oh yeah, it's think, been a hot minute since very, you've seen very, this, right? Very telling it's, it's, for all his for all his yammering about how he's building this house for his wife and child. They don't actually appear in that episode. No, it, they're more accessories. All, it's, it's clearly all about him. He just pre oh, presents no, this yeah. front. It's it, very intentionally directed because in that montage of hookers and blow, you just hear him saying, I just want to provide for my family. I just want to be a good man. No, snort, yeah, that's, snort, what's snort, very that's what's very interesting about Red Green's performance is he thinks he's in the right and it comes off that way. Well, I feel I uh, like that's part of the, that's, well, no, no, I, th I think part of the, I feel like part of the reason that he's the one guy who fights back against Little Slugger, even though it's like real kid Little Slugger, is that he's also the only guy who doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. Yes. Like, he thinks he, he didn't do anything he, wrong. He, he, he think he's, per that's why he gets back up again, because he's in a corner, but that's because he owes the mob money. He doesn't think he's doing that. <laughs> I, what, what am I supposed to do? Let the mob kill me? No. And it's not even, it's not even like, oh, the, the mob's going to kill my wife and kids. It's more like, they're going to come for me. Oh yeah, he, yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't. You know, he he does care a little, clearly, but like he's very about him. <laughs> he's about him. Uh, I think Reg just pulls that off really well. It's just just the right level of like slimy, but also like clearly way in way over his head. Once things get bad, yeah. Uh, it's a, like it's a good performance. Uh, so Kari gives just a heartbreaking performance. <laughs> She's so excited. They have a new home and things are going well and she's going to leave a nice present for her dad. And it all just goes so poorly. Yeah. It's really, she it's, means so well. It's really, it's really heartbreaking. Like, she's just this nice peppy teen girl where things are going well and then she finds out something she probably would not rather have. 
See, this is what this is uh, clearly made in the time before like having passwords on your computer was kind of mandated. Oh, absolutely. Like I, 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 I mean, this is what early two thousand. Like I remember from like, I don't even think I had a password on my computer when this was made. Like, who, who was gonna get into it, computer. right? It wasn't even a laptop. Like, who's gonna come in and who's gonna do anything? I mean, this is gonna come up later, but I mean, there. I mean, but there is a scene where, like, where another character shows a shows a couple of little kids porn, and it's like, yeah, you probably wouldn't be able to get away with that now. So, yeah, no, there's no, no way in wouldn't. hell you could. <laughs> Not at all. And it's again another piece of shit character. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Curry Curry turns in a wonderful performance that just it just it hurts. Uh, but let's let's talk about Erica because she has the hard job here. Yes, <laughs> because she has to play Harumi, and she also has to play Harumi's alternate personality, whose name is escaping me right now. Maria, Maria how do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> uh, you, you, you how do you make ten k on the side? God damn it! <laughs> I, Erica does a really good performance. Like you get a very strong sense of what both of these characters are like, both in Harumi's just like. She's a nice girl, and she wants to get married, and she's good at her job, and she wants things to just be simple, and she's very, very repressed. And not even, yes. not necessarily in a bad way, like, for other people, but in a way that's clearly bad for her. Uh, and then Maria, obviously, is a, she's a sex worker, and she's very, like, into that, and feels very free and liberated. And the two don't really work well with each other. Because <laughs> no. Harumi doesn't like that uh, Maria exists, and Maria feels like, hey, fuck you, I have a right to exist and do what I want to do. I'm in yeah, this body, side, too. Side <laughs> note, their form of communicating with each other in the episode is through an answering machine. That is clever. I want to give props that to Colin. That is very for, clever. Like, this is the, that's the one episode where I feel like th this could have been fleshed out into a feature film. You probably could have. Yeah. It would have scared the shit out of me. Uh, I but I think she she does a very good job of making them sound distinct, but also it's like this is this this does feel like the same person somewhere in there, even if it's not like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like if it, it does feel like there's a connection here, even though these are two radically different individuals, uh, who unfortunately share the same body and all the problems <laughs> that that causes them. Right. Um, as as you do. No, I I think she as gives, she she gives a, like a really strong performance, and I think she she especially has one of the harder jobs because of that. Like she needs to mm. both make these characters distinct, but also make it feel like okay, yeah, this is still the same person at the end. Yeah, no, I like the I I mean this this is a good set of like you know for minorish characters. I think these all go really these are all really well done and really well executed uh, for for when they're on screen. It's good stuff. Okay. Um, I'm actually going to jump in next, I think. So I'll start with Taiko. Uh, uh, Tara Hudson, a.k.a. Kari Walgren, a.k.a. Lord knows. A.k.a. this poor girl, we need to protect her. Literally, she did nothing wrong. She did nothing that wrong. That is true. She, she's the, like, uh, everyone else has, like, some baggage, something they're actually running from. She's the only real victim in this whole, well. No. I don't know well, if Hiromi does know. anything wrong. Well, At least consciously. I mean, Look here, Ushiyama also didn't do anything wrong. If you think about it. But Ushiyama just happened to be there. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, I'll start with with uh, Taiko. Because poor this poor girl. Um, Jesus. <laughs> She's so, first of all, as baby Taiko, because much of the episode throughout the course of it is a mix of the detectives talking to the old woman, like we said before. Um, but Taiko also recalling all of her experiences as a kid growing up with her dad um whom if you don't 
if you've never seen the show before and you watch it the first time, you might not pick up right away that Hirakawa is her dad mm -hmm. until the end when you actually get the reveal that it is him. Well, I mean, that was very intentional. Like, they don't show it's his very, It is very intentional. Or you could be like Andrew and pick up right away that that was his, that was the, that, that's his, their dad. There's enough clues, <laughs> there's but there's enough, enough plausible deniability. Yes. Kari is sweet. She's adorable. She's so sweet as Babby Taiko growing up. That's the point I'm trying to make in this. <laughs> She's very sweet and little and just such a cutie pie when you're growing up. But then when you get to 17-year-old Taiko and she's on the run and she's discovered that her dad is a horrible, perverted person. I mean, that's the only thing she knows. She doesn't know any of the other shit that he's done at this point. She just gets... Feel, suddenly feels so tormented and betrayed and just disgusted by her father. And that comes across in the performance very well. Um, <laughs> going into uh, Red Green as Papa Hirakawa, this piece of shit. <laughs> this awful human being. Mm -hmm. um, like I kind of said a little before when Amon was talking about him. He thinks he's in the right and it does come off in the performance, which makes it all the more uncomfortable and creepy. And like, I want to punch this man. He's a, he's a horrible person. Um, and then once you get a bit more into the story and him, him being extorted by Yakuza bosses for squeezing too much out of this one guy, you really start seeing him just slowly like become this desperate human being and red green just sells it just wonderfully and it's oh it's so fun i think one of my favorite parts in that whole episode for that performance though is after he took the drug that the yakuza boss gave him and he went to go rob this one apartment oh god that scene because not only is it shot very well, because it's side by side, the actions that Hirakawa's doing, it's shot side by side with a um, manga that has been popping up throughout the course of the whole show, of the episode, excuse me. It's very Fist of the North Star. It's very Fist of the North Star, thank you. Um, but it's like a side by side, like, this is how I'm registering, this is how I'm going to process this. And then, oh boy... I know Jet will agree with me on this one because I think he's the one who mentioned this. He's like, oh god, that line makes me so uncomfortable. <sighs> when, the, when the teenage daughter of the couple comes back and Hirakawa comes around from the corner, he's like, I want you to call me daddy. And I'm like, oh. oh I just want to rip off all uh, of my no, fucking no, okay, skin. Okay, okay. Now, now that's what, what I noticed. I noticed that I picked up on that like earlier on in the episode when he's like with a prostitute and he's oh yeah that yeah line. yeah he, that's not the first time he said it yeah you're right but still <laughs> it's so creepy like it's so fucking creepy every time he said call me daddy you could tell that there might have it was a clear hint to some uh. underlining situation and then of course we find about Taiko um but red green just fucking sells it so hard oh it's oh and I want to punt this fucker into the sun Erica Schaefer as Harumi Chono and Maria. Amon is correct. This is probably the most difficult role in the entire show. Because it's two different personalities. You have to make them distinct. You have to make it work. And you also have to fight with yourself. <laughs> which that wouldn't be an easy feat to fucking do. Um, and I think 
Erica actually does really well, and she makes them bear the personalities distinct. As Harumi, Erica is quiet, she's shy, she's soft, she's very reserved. And then as Maria, she's very spunky, she's no nonsense, no bullshit. And she knows what she wants, and she wants to be free. The end of episode three, it, the words, I want to be free too. That is what really hits home right as Maria is coming for Harumi and wants to basically fuck some shit up. Because she doesn't want to go away because Harumi's trying to force her out instead of Maria just going on her own. Um, and a role like that would, is extremely difficult and I commend Erica because this is one of the few role, like, few anime roles she's ever done and I really commend her on it. Um, I think it worked very, very well, honestly, with those distinct voices and personalities. Okay, uh, so I'll start with uh, Tara Hudson here as uh, the daughter. Uh, so, uh, I thought she did a, I thought she did, I thought she did a really good job here. I mean, uh, she didn't have like a whole. I mean, well, we saw more of her as like a kid than like as a teenager, but I thought she did a really good job of making her seem sweet and did it. And making her seem sweet and innocent like she very clearly cares about her family and very clearly loves her dad which makes it all the more unfortunate when we learn her dad is screaming on her because you uh but so, and as and as she, de as she definitely as she definitely sells the trauma of that very believably like the way she flipped that over that felt very as I, I felt very authentic and when she just like decides she's fed up with everything you really feel that trauma so i thought she did a really good job there and uh, that whole story was just very, very deeply unfortunate. Mm -hmm. and, as I, and, as I, and on that note, I guess uh, let's talk about the dad because boy, this guy made my, to say this guy made my skin crawl is kind of an understatement because he's a total slime ball. Uh, boy, howdy, is he a slime ball. Uh, I'm obviously not like too familiar with Ray Green's other works since it's all older than that, but like quite gotten around to. But I thought he had like the right hand on Masabi. He in public he makes him come off as like you know a very, a fairly respectable kind of bubbling cop. Uh, even if you can tell right away, Keiichi maybe has like a little too much respect for him. Uh, but Ray's performance kind of sells that you know whole, false nobility pretty well. That you can at least kind of see why other people might fall for it. Uh, but behind closed doors, he's a better creepy kind of own daughter. He. That he's helping mobsters run a prostitution ring and literally robbing the elderly when he finds himself in too much sense of the monsters he was scamming. And Ray really just manages to make him come off as like an obvious prick in one of those moments. Uh, but what makes the character fascinating or frankly kind of more disturbing is how much he buys into the image of the quote-unquote ideal man he kind of puts out in public and never quite realizes how ridiculously far he's, he's fallen from that until it's too late. And I, when he finally does, like, kind of realize what an obviously disgusting person he is and how much he wishes someone would punish him, like, Rang said, sell that whole mental breakdown really well. And, well, and it would almost be enough to make me feel sorry for the guy if, you know, he wasn't, like, utterly pathetic and kind of and pretty awful. And, mm -hmm. But uh, Ray really does know how pathetic he is. And uh, while we don't know, like, the full extent of the comeuppance he got since, you know, he's not exactly the focus of the show... I'm glad this character got basically nothing he wanted because he is terrible and he deserves nothing. Yep, he lost his house. He basically lost his daughter because she doesn't remember jack shit. He got his comeuppance. And at the very end, <laughs> at the very end, I think he lost his mind too because the last thing we see of him is just kind of like comatose looking up at the sky. 
Yeah, he's with Tycho mm. at that point. Mm. Okay, uh, and lastly, uh, Erica Schaefer as Harvey. Uh, I'm not super familiar with Erica Schaefer, but I thought Harvey's story was probably like one of the more fascinating of the episodic ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff about split personalities can be really terrifying when done right, and Satoshi Ko really knew how to make this scary. Uh, it's never made clear if Marie existed in Hermes' mind before she got to the whole prostitution deal, or if she just kind of created her to cope with that. Uh, but I think in a lot of ways, like, leaving that up to interpretation just kind of makes it more terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when we first meet Harmy and learn about her deal, it kind of seems like, you know, she's at least handling her condition as best she can, and uh, Erica does a really good job of playing it up and kind of making her come off as reclusive and awkward. And then Hermie gets a fiancé and wants to leave Maria behind, but no matter how hard she tries, Maria just keeps coming back. And uh, you can hear Erica's performance with Hermie get more and more unhinged, and by the time she gets to the end of the episode, she just sounds like a total wreck. And uh, Erica really gets her distress across pretty well, her distress across pretty well, along with, you know, all the relief she feels a little slugger finally comes in with the bat. Uh, uh, but the reason I kind of stress Erica's performance as Harvey because when it comes to her and Maria, I actually thought she sounded maybe a little flat there. Okay, uh, that's yeah, fair. I, I'm not sure she was just like having trouble trying to make this personality sound distinct, but I could never like quite buy do Maria the same way I did Harvey, and there was just something like maybe a little fake about it the same way like early 2000s does could kind of be at times. Uh, okay, that's fair. Yeah, granted, it's entirely possible to think this might have been intentional since, again, we're doing a whole personality thing. And if that was the case, then I think it kind of works. And if it, and if I interpret it that way, then the performance works well on both ends. Uh, but since I don't totally know if that's what the intent was, I can't, like, totally endorse how it sounds. And Erica doesn't have, like, a lot of other anime credits, so it's not like I have any, like, real points of comparison. So, uh, basically, how would be I like Maria? I'm a little more mixed on. Uh, Noah, anything to add? So, did did we say that uh, uh, the Sami is a is a is a jerk yet? Did did anybody say that? I don't think we got that point nah, across yet. No, nah, I don't think we have. But if you uh, want to say it, that's fine. I don't think we've hammered in the point hard enough. No, we we, we haven't hit that home run yet. It, but <laughs> I find it interesting that um, both Aman and Jet. And my own notes use the word slimy to describe his character because that is exactly what he is. And here's on a vocal level, this is why he is so much so. Because when you are a awful piece of shit and you're trying to hide it, you put on a nice guy voice. And that is exactly what the guy does. Like when he's in the company of people like um, he's having a conversation, like he's having drinks with um, Kishi. He has like this uh, like nice wholesome voice that's you know very uh, reserved, like very professional sounding. And we know from you know throughout watching the whole episode that that's not his personality. He's not good natured individual. He's not uh, you know try to bring in the bad guys because we're trying to protect the the community. So I really uh, I think Reg uh, really nailed that uh, aspect of him that put on a nice guy persona to hide who he really is because we see you know the the more broken part of him especially when he's like breaking into people's houses with the mask on and he's like quoting scenes from the manga that he's reading it's like getting yeah, really it's so unsettling it, it is but it uh, uh, kind of to the point that you guys were making earlier about how there's some levity in the show there's like dark humor in this those scenes aren't scary like i don't get the feeling that he's going to hurt this couple whose life savings he's stealing it's just kind of funny i I mean, I, 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 I disagree about that. 
I disagree. Only, so, so, not, not not funny. They're getting robbed, but like they. I'm sorry. The direction plays it up so that. Sorry, so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I can kind of see where Noah is coming from, with a mix of like how the show, how that scene itself is shot with the manga panels, and how his reaction, especially since this guy is on drugs at this point. Mm-hmm. I can I can see where Noah's coming from. I don't think it's meant to be scary, but it's at least meant to make you uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Like I yeah. totally believe he meant to hurt those people. I mean, he did. He could have. Like, he had the opportunity Probably to do that. Probably even the daughter, which let's it's, let's not even go into that. What? No, no, let's not go into that. No, let's I, I don't want to speculate that. that. Tr- no, but no. no. Point, point being yeah. is that th- this guy was like obviously supposed to be the most detestable character in the whole cast. Like uh, the yes. whole cast. Like, there's no yes. argument. So. You, like you can't even you can't even be like little slugger's not even more detestable than fucking Hirakawa. That's sad. That is really that is sad. sad. Because at true. least at the very least, little slugger helps some people out. Maybe not in like the most healthy way, but he does help get them out of their situation sometimes. This guy does no good for no one. Little slugger has cool skates. This guy does <laughs> not have cool skates. Little slugger one, Hirakawa zero. <laughs> Hirakawa, negative a thousand. Absolutely. Pull, pull up that, that marker chart from Moana. You know, just you know, one for Little Slugger, negative a million for this guy. So, yes. I think we beat into the ground that Reg did a really good job on this. And uh, I unfortunately don't have, don't have as many things to say about Tara Hudson because uh, although her episode is definitely the one that made me the angriest in the same way it did for everyone else here because that's just really disgusting to watch. And especially as someone who is a dad, you have a yeah. girl who says, like, I love you, daddy, so much. Like, I want to marry you when I get older. And I'm just watching this thinking, oh, God, what's going to go wrong? How, how is this going to go wrong later in the episode? And There's... then you realize, and then it's like, are you kidding me? Uh, that, is re- that is disgusting to watch. And that, yeah, that made me really mad. And unfortunately, all of the rage from that uh, scene isn't entirely conveyed by uh, Tara's vocal performance, like the scene where she's looking through the images that have been collected. It's just really well directed. You know, that, yes. that's the most horror scene-ish thing in the whole show. Um, but to give props to her, she also uh, does have the most uh, range when it comes to, like you were saying before, she has to play the babby version of mm-hmm. Takei, and then she has to play the, the angrier teenager version of her. And she plays both ranges of them pretty well. I was actually kind of surprised to uh, hear that this was uh, uh, redacted voice actress here. I thought Takei was uh, not voiced by Kari Walgren. I thought Kari was actually the voice of Harumi, who is my personal favorite of all the oh, everything. Okay. Yeah, that's only I hadn't looked up the, the cast list before watching I can, this. I can, I can kind of see why you might have gotten it mixed up. Yeah. Admittedly, I kind of hear it a little, yeah. Yeah. yeah just because, and it's so good, too. It's because I know Kari's a really good actress. Turns out Erica's really good, too. And it, it is all that Jekyll Hyde persona that she gets to play. She has to be, you know, the sweeter, demure, good-natured Harumi. And she does that really well. And then convincingly do Party Girl Maria very well. And I think that that whole dichotomy there, like I said, could have filled an entire movie. Um, and I... I believe that the Japanese also use the same uh, voice actress, the same seiyu for both halves of the persona. But it's, it's just a lot of fun to watch because you have, again, very different kinds of personalities that are in total odds with each other. So yeah, Erica's uh, portrayal of that 
Uh, I couldn't find anything wrong with that. And like I said, I would have been totally fine if the whole show was just about her, you know, dealing with her problems. And like, mm -hmm. just think of like, like at the end of a, sh we could give her a whole show. Like at the end of the show, she becomes a Batman villain or like she becomes ah! uh, really engulfed. Oh, no, 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 no. You want to know what it is? Harumi Chono turns into Two-Face? Yeah. That's exactly what it could become. <laughs> and instead of a coin to flip, she has a butterfly. Yeah. So yeah, Erica, my personal favorite on just like a vocal performance level. Other characters are like, I, I suppose, like they get more to do. They have more of a dynamicism that, you know, uh, advances the plot more. But for like the one shot characters, this is the one that I enjoyed listening to the most. So I... Erica, if you're listening to this by the magic of the internet, you did a really good job 15 years ago. Andrew, you uh, you stole something from me, bud. Okay, so I would like to at least propose a little something. Um, the whole concept about uh, Little Slugger is basically public consciousness and the rumor mill essentially going awry. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria effectively creating folklore characters and turning them into real entities in the pu public human consciousness. Yes. Looking at this bat has given me an idea for a new character I'd like to propose. Oh god, what now? Okay, character? hear me out. Imagine Blue from Blue's Clues. Imagine the head of Blue from Blue's Clues on the body of Majima from the Yakuza franchise with uh, a giant uh, bloody blue bat wait a minute. that beats the shit out of piece of shit pedophile cops. Oh. I'm gonna take this back from you and throw it over there. You're not allowed to have it anymore. There is we'll call it Blue Jima. Do you hear about Blue Jima? And Blue Jima also has really cool Andrew. inline skates that sweep Andrew, by Andrew, and beats the shit out of creepy pedophile cops. Let me and just is tell you. He wrote to all the children and is also a very <laughs> wacky member of the Yakuza franchise. Yeah. It's perfect. It's genius. This is shut, great fan shut fiction. Up, shut up, Andrew. Yes, Noah. Uh, there's no way that's going to happen because uh, Blue's Clues is owned by Viacom, and Viacom don't give a shit about sharing copyright <laughs> with anyone, so you can wish that dream goodbye. Copyright law can't fight fanfiction.net! Unless you're Agatha Christie. <laughs> AO3, you old man. <laughs> You know what? You know what? You're right. You're right. You're correct. We should take this to AO3. AO3, Blue Jima, the Yakuza member that's just blue for blue screws that beats the shit out of pedophiles. So, I like so, this headcanon. So sweetie. Blue Jima aside. Hang on, hang on. Before I continue, Blue Skadoos, you can eat lead! <laughs> Whack! Flack! Andrew! I'd love to talk more about my upcoming AO3 fanfiction, but no, we don't have enough no, time no, tonight. No, no, so, no, no more of that. Okay. I already took the bat from you, please. Stop. I just needed the bat for that one segment. Andrew, Thank you. Andrew, no, just talk. Okay. Performances. Okay, so let's start off with uh, Kari, uh, Taiko. Uh, this girl did nothing wrong. Uh, you hear, like, the emotional growth, literally, as she is just a small baby child that's mm -hmm. just, like, daddy's little girl doing her best. And then you see, like, the heartbreak, the horror, the terror, and it's mm -hmm. just unsettling. It is uncomfortable. You hear that pain and anguish, and it's like, oh, God. Even though Kari's only just got the one episode, she, she makes her mark. Really good. Let's talk about uh, Hirokawa. Uh, Dean Bristow is a legitimately really 
good voice. It's not a voice I'm very familiar with, but I've played a couple of those Sonic Adventure games. I, like, as soon as it was brought to my attention, I was like, oh my god. You did a fantastic job as Hirakawa. Uh, you did a good job basically being, like, the authoritative, nice guy police officer, where it's like, I'm just a humble man, quiet man. I He's Yoshikage Kira. Are you fucking kidding me? You're gonna go that route right now? He just wants to live a quiet, quiet life. Just humble, quiet life. I haven't even but seen But the reality is he is a fucking sick, deranged, <laughs> psychopath motherfucker that is basically a hidden terror on his local neighborhood. I have only seen, like, episodes here and there of part four whenever I'm with you, but fuck, I hate you right now. He's Yoshikage Kira! Oh, JoJo's Bizarre This even works. This actually works in regards to Paranoia Agent because one of the earliest like influences of early JoJo's Bizarre Adventure was Fist of the North Star. It's all connected. I no, made no, it work. I, Andrew, no, you, you want to make this more connected? You want to make it even more Try connected? Me. Try me. What? Guess what? One of the first animation projects that Cone worked on. <laughs> He worked on the home video release of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure back Part in the day. Oh yes, shit! You're did. right. You're yeah. right. He did the. I was, about, I was about to bring. He, I was about to bring that up. Thank you, Noah, for bringing that in. Oh anyway, shit. Anyway, bringing it back around. Please. No, we will not bring it back around. We will focus on this rabbit trail no, because no, no, Andrew, Andrew. No, no I gotta bring and, it back Andrew around. Noah, no, please, let's bring it back around. <laughs> Look, I had my fun moment. I had. I'm good. Stop. Just you get back on the leash. fucking sucks. This dude deserves nothing. Uh, Deeper Stove it did a fantastic job. Uh, Erica Schaefer as Harumi Chono and Maria. Jesus fucking Christ. This is like <laughs> goddamn one of the... This is one of the scariest concepts I think that's actually explored in this entire show. Yep. And it is done with a level of like nightmarish, uncomfortable, like hauntingness. Episode 3, Double Lips with um, Harumi Chono is probably one of the more deep dark intriguing episodes of the entire show i think um but yeah no it is this is a level of like nightmarish fuel where she does that very meek cute little like science college girl and also just the <laughs> goddamn hardcore like sexual maria mm -hmm. and makes it both sound very convincing and very different and they are conversing with each other like seamlessly in regards to the tone of voice and it's really scary it's really uncomfortable this woman needs to go to relationship counseling because she really should have let this guy know that I she mean, has split personality disorder. She's already going to a psychiatrist, thankfully, for her split personality disorder. She just forgot to tell her fiance about it. Oh, that's, forgot that's bad nothing. relationship communication, which, to be fair, he just kind of randomly popped the question, hey, you want to get married? Just right in the middle of work, hey, do you want to marry me? I mean, her defense. Yeah, he's kind of a loser. He's kind of a loser. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would assume they'd known each other for a while, but even so, like, yeah, he, yeah, they, he's kind of a loser. Yeah, that's what I would assume. You could be better. Colleagues, at least. I, I just like the assumption that they had just been no together for a few. They hung out for a few months, and just one day, without even going on a date, hey, you want to get married? No, nah, they for sure at least knew each other for a while because that, they work at the same. University. That makes more sense. But all I'm gonna say is, uh, communication is important not only with her uh, fiance husband. But also with Maria, I feel like she could have better communicated, like, hey, here's how we do this. Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, those are mine. <laughs> Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, those are yours. And we, al we alternate Sundays. We alternate Sundays. <laughs> we alternate Sundays. Oh, Lord. Oh, that's, that's fucking great. Look, it would have worked a lot better 
and they wouldn't have to throw each other's shit out, and they wouldn't have to had to have like the most nightmarish shit in this goddamn show. Oh, the that, nightmarish <laughs> climax that is the fight in the street, and then all of a sudden here nice makeup, looker, and Harumi is just like makeup like dripping oh, out Oh god, face. that's such a horrifying. So, so, Anyways, uh, TLDR, Erica Schaefer is fantastic at conveying both personalities of Harumi Chono and Maria, but also communication is key, even with yourself. Especially with yourself. Especially with yourself. Alright, I think we're ready to move on at that this point. So our next three characters, so I probably should have brought this up. All of the characters, for the most part, are basically linked together. We already talked about Taiko being linked to her dad, Hirakawa. We talked about Hirakawa being linked to Hurumi Chono because he... He basically had sexual relations with her alternate personality, Maria, because prostitution ring. Maria, not Maria, Hirumi Chono is the private tutor, tutor of Yuichi Taira, who is the main protagonist of episode two. Uh, we're also going to talk about his classmate, Shogo Ushiyama, as well. Uh, he is a fat kid that transferred from another school because he was bullied. Uh, and Yuichi Taira is being bullied currently because he's being seen as little slugger of all things uh he's also a fucking narcissist and he thinks he should be number one at everything uh mm-hmm. lilac thir- number one is literally in his name I was, gonna, I, I was gonna mm-hmm. say that at some point thank you for beating me to the punch but the third character we're gonna talk about in this section he's predominant in episode one we have akio kawazu uh, he is a freelance journalist who uh, who's in a lot of fucking trouble after a traffic as- accident with the previously mentioned old man. He was the most uncomfortable character in the show and until then we met Hirakawa. <laughs> um, also, I think we should put some scarecrows around journalist. Yeah, freelance journalist. <laughs> is, is, is the National Enquirer journalism? Like Gossip mag. I don't fucking know. He's got some... He's got some journalistic integrity of I don't know enough about uh, actual rated publications the, the to make a scathing is, joke. The point is, the main thing with Kawazu, one, he's in trouble because he caused a traffic accident and he's in fucking legal bullshit right now. But the other big thing is, um, once he gets the scoop about the first little slugger attack, because again, he's, he's predominantly in episode one, he starts stalking Tsukiko Sagi, the first victim, uh, to the point that when she's trying to escape him towards the end of that episode, Little Slugger comes back and attacks Kawazu. So he ends up being the second victim of Little Slugger. The individuals voicing these characters, I'm going to start with Kawazu. He is voiced by Doug Stone, who has been in other series and has portrayed roles such as Boris Meir in Be the Beginning, Stoner in Eureka 7, and Hanaoka in March Comes In Like a Lion. Yay! Uh, Duckstone also has a secondary role. He, in Paranoid Agent, he voices the character Fuyobachi in the episode Happy Family Planning. Uh, Yuichi Taira. Um, here's another, uh, pseudonym, uh, or alternate name. Uh, he is voiced by Kevin Hatcher. Um, but we most commonly know him nowadays as Mr. Johnny Yambosh. Um, other roles that Johnny has portrayed... Actually, under Kevin Hatcher as well, he voices Albert de Morsef in Gunkutsu of the Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, but under Johnny Youngbosch, he's also voiced Kiba in Wolf's Rain and Gyu Tomi- Tomioka in Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. As for Shogo Ushiyama, we have Steven Bendik, who has not really done a lot, honestly. He probably, he, he wasn't in really in the acting game for too long. 
but he has done other roles such as Young Koiji in Amazing Nurse Nanako, Toru Okohara in Re ROD the TV, and Sushi. Wow, that was probably an autocorrect problem. Uh, in Technolize. Let's start. Why don't we start this time with Andrew? What are your thoughts on these performances? I've got like two candies in my mouth. But I'm the one going first. That's okay. a poor decision on my part. I'm sorry. Let's start with Noah. <laughs> I got three candies in my mouth. No, I'm just kidding. So there I was about no. to say, are you fucking kidding right now? You toss them all the way across the across the country. I just have really good. I catch. have. I'm. I'm good at. I have a good throw. I'm you sorry. do. You're really good. You know who else has a really good throw? The sports guy Yushi, because he's apparently number one in sports. Also, although I, I, I love the fact that he starts out the show uh, just kind of talking about how he's super beloved. Like he gets valentine's in his locker every day all the teachers love him everyone loves him so much the thing about this show is that the uh, the perception of what's going on is based entirely on the person whose viewpoint we're watching it from so even yes. though he said like he's probably is smart and good in sports but i think he delusioned himself into thinking that he was actually as popular as he said he was like mm -hmm. he was probably already like disliked by all the students they were just looking for a reason to not like him and then when this whole uh you look like little slugger because you ride with inline skates thing came around that was just the perfect tipping point to make them all hate him because people don't turn on our actual popular person like that mm. oh i forgot to mention two things about yuichi and with ushiyama because i'm stupid ushiyama is quote-unquote the third victim mm -hmm. of little slugger and i say third with quotations uh, Yuichi Taira is the fourth victim. Right. Yuichi Taira did witness uh, Ushiyama being attacked. Yeah. So, um, Side note. So, um, uh, this is uh, probably my biggest criticism of this dub, and this is just kind of a, a problem with union dubs overall, or any dub that has uh, kids in the cast. They didn't cast kids. And mm. sometimes you can cast uh, adults who sound like kids, like um, Danny Phantom is a perfect example. Voice actor they got to voice Danny Phantom sounded close enough to a high school student that worked out, even though he's way older than that. Uh, casting uh, Johnny Young Bosch, Black Ranger, badass from Pro Mare, as sixth grade uh, honor roll student didn't quite buy that as far as like the actual pitch goes. But um, I, I will give him, uh, give him credit for the uh, enthusiasm of a sixth grader, and not just the, uh, you know, the go-getter attitude of a sixth grader, but the scene where um, the whole class gets spammed with uh, blackmail images, mm. and, uh, yep. and who is it, and Shogo uh, is, like, defensive of Yuishi, and then Yuishi kind of looks at him like, I'm gonna kill you! That, yep. That's believable middle schooler antics enough. Like, I'll buy the acting portion of it. It's just the... Uh, you know, the voice itself doesn't quite match up. But that's, again, maybe maybe that doesn't bother some people as much. It also kind of bugged me a little bit with um, Steven's portrayal of Shogo because, again, it's clearly someone who's a little bit older than the the face that it's going for. And mm -hmm. this is weird re-watching it because I could have sworn when uh, I watched it the first time, you know, back in 2010 or whenever that was, that I thought Shogo actually had a little kid voice. Like, I thought I remembered the voice coming out of the character design was a kid. And then I thought, oh no, I'm just confusing this character with the fat kid from Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies. So I'm like, oh, that's why. So. Oh my God, what was that character's I'm, name? I'm Rally? I think it's Ralphie. Rally? It's Ralphie or, it, it starts with an R. I, I will say this um, about Steven, if I can find it real quick. Um, it's, possible that he was at least a teenager when he did Ushiyama. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, reason why I say that, he did an episode of All That in 2002. Okay. I'm looking at some of the photos you can find of him online, and assuming they're from his like very narrow, very small acting career, he looks like he might have been a teenager when he did this. Yeah, the last on IMDb, the last credit he had was Timothy and Aragorn Proxy in 2006. But so, still, post puberty teenager, it sounds like. Yeah. Post yeah, post puberty, midst puberty, we don't 100 percent know, but it seems like at least in Steven's case, he could have been at least a teenager when he voiced Uzuyama. Yeah. So again, At that's the very least. that's. But just, I understand the argument with Johnny, though. Yeah, th- and that's just uh, again, that's just a qualm that we see in a lot of dubs. Like I know some of mm-hmm. some of us in this call had this problem with the Barakamon dub, where they didn't cast children in the mm. kid roles. Yeah, but that's I, fair. That's that's just a thing there. But I, honestly, as like far as the actual acting goes, that was a fun episode. That that was a fun kind of like watching um, the kid. Uh, you know, get completely pariahized, and um, it led to one of my favorite AMVs uh, featuring the show. So there's an AMV uh, for Paranoia Agent set to the song uh, "Mad World," and at the at the line where they say "Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday," <laughs> it sh- birthday. jump cuts right to kid with two adults for his six, however, twelve, eleven, nine, however old birthday party. He's a kid. That was okay. so. I'm His sorry. Birthday party. Yay for uh, for appropriate editing. Um, yes. And I don't have. I'm sorry. I'm gonna cut this short. Don't have as much to say about Doug Stone. I think these guys are gonna say what I was thinking. In that he's, uh, you know, he's got kind of a sinister voice to him, mm. but uh, he's it fits with the character. Like Doug actually absolutely fits with this uh, kind of like um, not very respectable journalist in big air quotes. And it was yes. fun to listen to. I, I honestly kind of wish he'd been, like, weaved in throughout more of the show and just kind of, like, keeps popping back up because he was fun to listen to even if the character is the second or third more unlikable character in the cast. Admittedly, the um, the six characters, Kawazu, Yuichi, Ushiyama, Harumi, well, I should say <laughs> actually four of them, honestly. The four of them, they do kind of pop in a little bit in um, episode five, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they they come in to identify the now arrested little slugger. That's true. Um, so they do pop in, and we get a little bit more of it. Uh, <laughs> to which side note, those little bits during the Holy Warrior episode, holy Jesus, <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit. Are you all set, Noah? Yeah. Let's turn this over to Jed. What are your thoughts on these performances? Um, okay. I think I'll actually start with Doug Stone. I actually don't have a whole thing to say about his character. Uh, for as many episodes as he shows up in, he doesn't actually do a whole ton, which is uh, kind of disappointing. But I thought Doug Stone did a pretty good job of making his character sound like a very obviously slimy weasel. Uh, he really, uh, he really should have paid back that family. That it's kind of a shame he doesn't get too much comeuppance for that in the end. But yeah. like, yeah, his comeuppance <laughs> is his own miserable existence. <laughs> I mean, the old man does die, and then he's suddenly getting blamed for his death. He's like, "Wait, you're blaming me for this?" I mean, they're probably right. They're probably yeah, right. Uh, 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 okay, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. I hope we, yeah, I hope we didn't take him to court for that. So. <laughs> yeah, please, please sue him for all he's worth. So he's destitute. He's an asshole. Yeah. So yeah, but anyway, Doug So did a really good job of making him sound like very, like obviously very slimy. Doug Soe's uh, pretty good at that sort of thing, and I thought that. Uh, his performance was a lot of fun. 
see, uh, Stephen Benedict as uh, Ushi as Ushiyama. Uh, I gotta say, like, out of some of, out of like the one-off characters, I thought he sounded kind of the flattest, honestly. Is mm. like, uh, like, uh, like okay, I mean, knowing that he probably was a teenager when he did this makes it a little easier to swallow how he sounded, but it still kind of sounded a little rough around the edges mm-hmm. as far as like believable kid voices go. Yeah. So it didn't yeah. sound, like, it didn't sound all like that authentic to me. And it, it didn't help that like his actual performance didn't he didn't get to actually like do a whole lot of really nuanced acting. Uh, but uh, but nevertheless, I did feel really sorry for this kid. He really didn't deserve to be bothered by Yuichiro, who's just kind of a prick. Kind of. Okay, I shouldn't say kind of. Like he, like he definitely is. Like this, this kid. I mean, like okay, like next to Carrie Walker's character, like this is definitely like the character who did absolutely nothing wrong. He deserves so, to be in a better I'm about to say, kid, keywords, guys. Kid, kids can be assholes sometimes. And that's Yuichi Tyra. Yeah. Uh, speaking, of, uh, speaking of Yuichi Tyra, uh, this kid is definitely a smug little prick, and uh, Johnny really knows how to play that up. Uh, it's like what would happen if you put the ego of light Yagami into an elementary schooler, and every second he speaks about how much the world revolves around him. Oh my god. <laughs> God. You're not wrong, and I hate you for it. I was thinking, what if somebody I've, else I've plays actually, baseball bat? Would they? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually surprised the only person who brought this up. Oh, oh God, shit. I hate, I hate it. I hate it I hate, so much. I hate it right now. I hate it here. Thanks, Jet. Like, <laughs> God, Jesus Christ, I fucking, I... Anyway, oh, this uh, kid would this kid would totally be coming like Yagami. Oh, yeah, but it's a, anyway, that's yeah, but not fair. Much. He's just a ten-year-old who's been told he's a good boy too much. Come on. Okay, okay, okay. I'm pretty sure. Okay, and I'm pretty sure everyone told like Yagami that. Anyway. <laughs> okay, okay, but anyway, pretty much every time this kid speaks about how much the world revolves around him, you just kind of want to bend him over your knee, and he's, yeah, he's, he's really full of it. Yeah, and, uh, show him one for. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like he's really full of it, and everything about the tone of Johnny's performance just like really sells house, house buggy, and just makes him sound perfectly punchable, and it just makes it sound like this kid deserves just about everything bad that happened to him. Uh, I will say though that while I liked the performance overall, I did think it sounded like maybe a little weirdly wooden at points compared to what mm. I'm like generally used to from Johnny. Okay. Like I would chalk this up as being like fairly early in his career where he might have been like slightly shakier, but this stuff was around 2005, so uh, he'd definitely been at this for a decent while. So maybe it's just about how he was directed. I think it was just uh, different, the- kind of different from everything else he'd done before this. Like, like this is not vast uh, at all. I mean, I guess we kind of talk it up as okay, maybe he wasn't like too used to a kid characters before. Like, I'm not. Sh- I. I'm pretty sure this was around the same time as the record seven, but he might not have it, been cast. Well, I no, think no, it was around the same time. About around the same say, time probably, as uh, it, Last Exile too. It's probably around the same time as Eureka Seven, Last Exile, and all of these probably came after fucking Wolf's Rain. Because Wolf's Rain was on Adult Swim before Paranoid Agent Wolf. Okay, okay, yeah, I know he did Wolf's Rain. I was just talking about it as far as like him doing like kid voices game. No, because, I'm just like, saying I'm just saying like because uh, Noah said it, this is a different role, and I'm like, if you think tonally, not so much if you throw Wolf's Rain into the mix. But um no, yeah, I see what you're saying. 
Yes, yeah, uh, basically, I don't know if he had been cast as rented yet, which is like the definitive him doing a kid voice thing, so, yeah. That and made uh, exile. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but then, yeah, but anyway, it was, like, maybe, like, slightly farther than what I generally expect from him, but, like, it wasn't, like, super distracting or anything, and I thought he still sounded fine overall. Uh, but at any rate, well, he didn't, like, do too much. I definitely liked how he bounced off of uh, Stephen Benedict and Zuciaba, who, again, was just trying his absolute best to be a good boy, while Yuichi was just far too full of himself to realize that, uh, that Zuciaba was actually a good person, just trying to help him out. Uh, in, that, uh, in that sense, it's kind of a shame that uh, Little Slugger kind of bailed this kid out, so to speak. Uh, but I'd like to think that all of his friends realized he was kind of a tool and just kind of kept the point again, so, yeah. <laughs> you would think, but who knows. I mean, he... he you, you, you all vastly overestimate children. They are very easy to... They will turn on each other in a heartbeat. Children can be assholes, boys and girls. Also, also... Ch children functionally don't have morals before a certain age. Like, let's be real here. That is true. Also, yeah. since Jet kind of brought up the end when Little Slugger attacks him, don't do drugs, kids! That's like if you're fucking high on some weird-ass shit. I've never been high before in my life, but I can imagine that if I were, that whole sequence of weird-ass, wonky, cartoonish world that Yuichi ended up in would be exactly what I fucking see. Yuichi, time to go to school. Ah, that was just like perfect. That was just such perfect extreme anxiety to get us told his mind like he knows how bad he messed up. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. that's like a very real, like, oh, anxiety. Everybody's gonna fucking get me. <laughs> Shit. Uh, any other thoughts, Jed? Nah, I'm done. Alright, let's move to Amon um, on this next. What do you think? Uh, let's see. Uh, D I think Doug Stone's he's, he's fun's not the word, but he captures just like uh, Kawazu's just innate sliminess. He's just such a he's such a gross dude, especially in that bit in the first episode where he like drops his spoon and on his way up he just takes him over. Oh, for God, it's such uh, a creepy Tukiko's scene. Legs. Uh. It's like it's yeah. like it's just like it, I've noticed that Satoshi Kone when he when he wants you to know a character is creepy, he'll make him a little bug-eyed. Oh yeah, like uh, yeah. Uh, see 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 also the weirdo in per in the perfect blue. Like that's that's a, that's a thing he does. Um um fuck. What what's that character's name? Um. <laughs> I know which one you're talking about too. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, yeah I mean, also, well, I mean, also when we are talking about the animated episode, there is like not Taro, like and how he's first introduced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, he. I think. I think Doug just really captures just the innate, just slimy bottom feederiness of this character really, really well. Like, he, oh he, my god. You you can tell what just like a lousy slime ball he is from from the first time you see him. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, I find it funny that even by the mid two thousands, Johnny Bosch had enough of a reputation as like the guy you get to play shonen, like sort of shonen heroic types that they can riff on that in this because yep. that's very much what you you know. Yu Yuichi is like the guy in the sports anime who's super talented. He's the star of the team. He's maybe not the main character, uh, but he's definitely there. And this is what happens when uh, they basically get pounded into dust because they don't know how to handle anything because. Uh, the world has ill prepared them for not being the center of the universe. The good yeah. athletes, the good I, athletes I, I, are I, never. The good athletes are never the main antagonist of a sports series. The sports series have to be starred by people who are like, you know, not the best and have to work their way back up. This kid would be the antagonist in any sports anime. 
He's Absolutely. the Oikawa. Yes, yes, he would. He's oh the Oikawa. my god, he's Yuichi fuck. Tyra is the Oikawa. He's Thank absolutely you. Oikawa. <laughs> I don't know who that is, anyway. <laughs> for, for you, for you high lovers out there, just, just, just nod, just nod and say absolutely. I'm just on. smile and wave. I won't smile and wave. I, I, I refuse. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, you can, I mean, if you know what Johnny sounds like, you can tell it's him like pitching his voice up to sound like a child. But I think he captures a lot of just both how Yuichi is used to being the center of attention and how badly he handles how his life has changed. Yep. Uh, and just his just like innate just his innate childish rage at everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially that you know the the kid who seems to be getting more popular in his stead is just a kid he he would just sneer down at anyways or at least n- not even think about otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um but I I like Steven's performance. He just seems very authentically kind of dopey, and he's doing his best. And life's yeah. hard, but what you gonna do? Like it's hard. Life life's hard. Kids I, are he, horrible sometimes. He does he does a good job of making Shogo feel really sad without being like too pathetic. It's like you you always you always feel sympathy for him. You want to be in his corner even during this episode, which is very much not from his viewpoint right uh, I, think, I think i think that's i think that's handy also he as i found out uh watching this episode he's apparently part of voice acting royalty his grandfather this guy named lenny weinrib oh we yeah look, look, look him up on wiki would you like to hear what lenny weinrib has done since yes please do it All right so voices you would know him from inch high private eye oh oh scrappy, yes scrappy do the original oh. one yep uh he's hunk and prince lotor and voltron what? The old one. Yeah. He's he's grimace in the old. If you if you find those old McDonald's ads from like the seventies and eighties, he's grimace. And my favorite, he's HR puffin stuff. <laughs> the children's show that will give you nightmares. <laughs> oh my god. That doesn't narrow I, it I down. For, I forgot. I forgot about that. You're right. I forgot about that. Thank you for mentioning that. That's a fun little fun fact. It's great. Yes. Anyways, um, but yeah, Doug's good. Johnny's good. I I like what Steven's doing here. Uh, yeah, you're nice. All right, Andrew, now that you're not sucking on candy anymore right now. Okay, so, um, Kawazu makes me want to never eat ice cream again. <laughs> ah, not wrong. He pull, he pulls a kakioin on, on the fucking cherry, too. Oh, God, he does the cherry thing. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be honest, I was a little impressed by that. That, that doesn't look easy to do. Especially with a fat fucking tug like that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway. Oh, okay. So, Doug Stone, he's got a very cool, like, very grody voice that I think definitely works for a kind of sort of duplicitous sleazebag like Kawazu. I think he's got a good voice, but I think definitely, like, he's got some of the more inconsistent pronunciations yes. of the show. Yep, he does. Which I think is a point against him. Personally, I prefer him more as his performance as anime Ben Franklin in the Happy <laughs> Family Planning episode. Oh, Fuyubachi. You, you see, you keep pointing that out, but I think he looks way more like actual Satoshi Kon did. With, like, less hair. You know? You, I was waiting for you I to point that out. I can see it. Satoshi Kone cosplaying Ben Franklin? No, just no. He just he kind of just looks like Satoshi Kone, who always kind of looks like, like a middle-aged he's a, man. He's, a, he's an older Satoshi Kone. Let's go with that one, because he because it's a white hair. Although man. I can see Ben, I think Ben Franklin would have been into animation if it was a thing during his time period. Oh, he would oh, watch so much fan service garbage. Just <laughs> oh, <laughs> absolutely. He, 
Look, look, Ben Franklin was the original harem protagonist. Let's not sugarcoat it. What? Right. What? Yeah. Oh, are you are you are you not oh. familiar with are you not familiar with Benjamin Franklin being the biggest slut in the founding fathers? <laughs> wow. No, wait, I wait, wait, okay, wait. I actually did I actually did know this. I'm sorry, okay. I'm still trying to imagine the, the hypothetical scenario where like Ben Franklin existed in twenty twenty and was watching like head ski or or Oh, he, oh. He, he would have a he would have a, a a blog about it. He would make ten hour videos about it for YouTube, where he's just ranting to the camera. Look, look, okay. If you only know Ben Franklin from the PBS series Liberty's Kids, that show is a filthy, filthy lie. Okay, the man slept and drank and banged and screwed his way to the top. No, okay? that is Noah, why we Liberty's got France on our also, side. Look, that Ben Liberty's Franklin's kid- dick saved America. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, hold on. First of all, Liberty's Kids is a children's show. Why would we show that shit? Second of all, god damn it. Is Education! America? <laughs> have you, you, you probably haven't seen the John Adams miniseries either, have you? Oh, god. One, oh. I actually have seen that. All I can think of is, oh my god, I'm forgetting the guy's name, but his forehead's ginormous. Paul Giamatti. Uh, Paul Giamatti, thank you. Uh, secondly... Before I actually continue with the rest of these thoughts, I have one more cursed image for you. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, what? go ahead. Benjamin Franklin wearing a, either a Mega Milk shirt or the <laughs> Uzaki Chan T-shirt. Oh fucking hell! I can. Yep. <sighs> I'm tempted. No, 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 no. Okay, okay, worse. Okay, 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 Steph, can you grab that Blue's Clues bad news that I'm Andrew? W- worse image. I might have to if he keeps this up. Ben's Clues, ben? you can do. And I just get the fuck out of here. You're about to fall out of this chair is what the fuck you're doing. Now, can you give us your thoughts on these characters? Andrew, Andrew. Luigi Tyra. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, what were you saying? And, uh, ben Franklin wouldn't wear either of those. He would wear an guy shirt. Okay. Oh God. I am ending this conversation oh, here. Oh, I will go God. put myself in the ending, corner while you. I am ending that this image. conversation here. Noah, you go in the fucking corner just and think about Betsy what you Ross just done. On that sweatshirt with the O face. Okay, and Noah, Noah, shut the fuck up. You die too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm done. I'm, we're done here. Noah, you are staying in that fucking corner. Andrew, please, your thoughts. Yuichi Tyra, uh, as, uh, John... Wow, okay, but try again. <laughs> try again. Try again. You want to try that again, buddy? No, Yuichi Tyra as Johnny Young Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Young Bosch as Yuichi Tyra. Uh, Yuichi is a smug kid that thinks the world revolves around him, and Johnny has this very good smug boy tone of voice, and I... I think he does a really good job. It's kind of what I'm used to. I think my, my actual favorite part is like when he's basically just full on recluse in his bedroom and he's just watching old videos of himself. It's like, Yeichi, Yeichi. you're the greatest. And it's just so very like, yep. so <laughs> so down escape from reality that it's actually really convincing and his freak out like genuinely so. I think he does a very good job. I'm less a fan of Steven as Ushiyama. I, I like even if he was a teenager, it's mm-hmm. just he's a teenager playing a kid and it's this, this is no uh this is no Steven universe. This is no uh Finn the human. Like you you can't, he's not even like selling it or making it work in his favor. It's just at, at least it's not an Aaron D's me going through puberty like Trinity Blood situation though. Fair enough. Uh, anyways. That's a thing that exists. I think he's a good kid, and he, he kind of gets the right voice, but 
it's very jarring and kind of flat at times. It's definitely, like, I think his performance more than some of the others in the show kind of took me out of some of the actual, like, character drama. Okay. And I think that is a genuine point against it. Okay. And... Uh, Doug, Doug Stone's very good. Um, I like him as uh, Kawazu. I like him as Fuyubachi. Uh, Happy Family Planning is a fucking insane episode that I am honestly cannot fucking believe that Satoshi Kon got approved. <laughs> You're right. And I'm done. Okay. Uh, I'll be relatively quick with my thoughts on these poems. I will start with Steven uh, Bendick. Um, I will agree that he's probably one of the more weaker performances of the entire show, um, only because he doesn't have a lot of acting credit to credits to his name, and it kind of does show um, that he doesn't have a lot of experience. And I, I would definitely say as well in um, voice acting, he doesn't have a ton of experience. It does show. Um, but the voice... The tone of voice and everything else, though, works for the most part. So I think on paper it works. It's just in execution and in practice, it's a hit or a miss, I think, depending on what you what you like and what you're looking for. Um, Johnny as Yuichi Tyra. Yuichi is such a self-serving bastard narcissist. <laughs> like, 100%. But Johnny manages to sell it very well. Do, is is Yuichi is Johnny too old to play a character like Yuichi? To an extent, yes. At this point in time, um, the dubbing scene though was still at this point was I would still think it's having a bit of a bigger surgence at this point in time. So there might not be more suitable voices or younger sounding voices to match Yuichi Tyra. However, Johnny is a fun staple regardless. Um, well, there just... could. I'm sorry. There, there were that. It's just uh, you. Sh you would have had to have cast a female voice to fill in that spot. This is also true. You were also correct. But they didn't go with that route, they now, did, did they? They did not. I, I like the performance and personality that Johnny does give to Yuichi. Um, it's just, I can also kind of see and agree that Johnny might be a little bit, at that point, was probably too old to voice the character. Um, but I appreciate what he did with it, and it, God, he made Yuichi just a smarmy little dickbag, and I wanted to be like, I wanted to, like, grab a wooden spoon and spank his ass. Like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Oh I will go, look, I will go full mother on him and teach him a fucking lesson like this is violence not against children in this episode this <laughs> look there's a lot of violence there's a lot of violence that is enacted by children too <laughs> quote unquote children um you mean, you mean the college student <laughs> no i'm talking about the fucking middle the school. poor kid the poor cram student <laughs> um doug stone is kawazu um Kawazu is a fucking dickbag and is creepy and unsettling and I like it. The one drawback, and Andrew did bring this up, Kawazu is the one character that has some weird pronunciations. Um, he... Doug Stone pronounces Maromi very oddly. He even pronounces his own character's name really weird at one point. Um, so it was a little bit jarring to me, and it did take me out of the episode a tiny bit. But otherwise than that, god damn it, I, I, I love ice cream. But if I ever think of Kawazu eating ice cream, that ruins it for me. Like, I don't want it anymore, and this upsets me. <laughs> but, um, yes, all in all, all three performances, they have their ups and downs, in all honesty. But what? 
You're making a face. What? I, I posted the following question. Which of the following t-shirts would Benjamin Franklin wear in 2020? Mega Milk, Sudoi Dekai, that's the Yuzaki H-on-1, or the Ahigao t-shirt? Megan. Ben Franklin wore, it was an orgy man. He would wear Ahigao. Washington would rock the Sudoi Dekai. <laughs> Hamilton will be a Mega Milk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Megan. This shit's gold. Oh, great. Um, all right. <sighs> on that note, I think we're ready to move on to our next set of characters, yes? Mm-hmm. We have two sections left to go. We're slowly getting there. This is a meaty episode. Let's talk about our two detectives, please. Yeah. Uh, we have Keishi Ikari, and we have Matsuhiro Maniwa. So Ikari is the uh, police chief chief of their of their um, district, uh, and he's a detective assigned to the little slugger case. He's basically this old school cop. That's basically the basic description of him. Uh, Maniwa is his partner. Uh, he's kind of this young upstart. Um, they both kind of get fired partway through the show <laughs> from being police officers because reasons. Fucking capitalism, Fuck. am I right? Well, not capitalism. Mm. It's like Andrew. Andrew the they fuck. let a suspect die in custody. That is a yeah. great way to get fired. That, that is not police negligence. Am I right? Oh, Andrew. Uh. Anyway, yeah. So they both get fired after a suspect in custody uh, dies. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little while. But um, Ikari ends up becoming a security guard for various construction sites. Meanwhile, Maniwa becomes stupidly obsessed with the little slugger case, and he slowly loses his grip on reality. All right. Voicing Keishi Ikari, we have Mr. Michael McConaughey, who has played other characters such as Charles Z. Britannia in Code Geass, Crank Zet in Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans, and Bartra Lioness in Seven Deadly Sins. All hail Britannia. All hail Britannia. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. As for Maniwa, and this is why early on I had to make the statement about pseudonyms and other names. This is a very weird one. They are voiced by the same person. However, the first four episodes, this performance was credited under William Markham. The rest of the show, episodes five onward... Uh, this gentleman decided to credit himself with his real name, and this it's Liam O'Brien. <laughs> uh, other vo- other characters that Liam O'Brien has portrayed, we have young young Walter C. Dornez in Helsing Ultimate. We have Kadia Mato in Fate Zero, and because of course I have to say it, he's Kenzo Tenma in Monster. Because I have to. And because I want that show rescued next, please, Kay, thanks. Uh, let's start with Jet. What are your thoughts on these performances? Okay, um, I'll start with Maniwa. Uh, I really do miss hearing Liam O'Brien in anime because he's a really well-rounded actor, and his performance as Maniwa is probably a really good example because this character transforms a lot. Uh, in the early parts of the show, Maniwa just kind of comes off as, like, Casey's laid-back partner, and he's definitely, like, the good cop in their whole good cop-bad cop dynamic. Uh, so it's kind of fun watching him bounce off of uh, Michael McConaughey. And uh, he definitely seems to be the more reasonable of the two initially. 
Uh, but of course, he's also not above like having a little bit of fun with his job and maybe getting a little too into some of the weirdness he comes across. Mm. Like when he plays like when he plays along with not little sluggers illusions in episode five. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, both Maniwa and Leon's performance just sound like he, like they're having a really good time just playing along with that. So that whole thing was a lot funnier than it probably had any right to be. Uh, that ends up being important later because when Madawa starts to piece together just how dangerous Little Slugger really is, that playfulness ends up turning into obsession. And uh, it's kind of interesting seeing how uh, Lee's performance just kind of gets more and more unhinged the more Madawa tries to dig up how Little Slugger chooses his targets. Mm-hmm. And by the time he does, he just sounds like he totally lost his marbles. And from that point on, Madawa becomes a character who just kind of most blurs a line between what's supposed to be fantastical and what's supposed to be real because Satoshi Kon. And uh, Lee's performance definitely becomes suitably heavier and over the top after that. Uh, but never to the point where it messes with the overall tone of the show. And uh, when Madawa finally does unravel the whole mystery and tries to get Sufiko to fix everything, uh, there's as much sincerity in his tone as there is desperation and it just really works. Uh, and I said it's kind of weird that I don't think we quite learned what happened to him after everything ended, but uh, regardless, I think Liam did, did, did do a good job, and he had one of those performances in the show. But he became the man in the moon, clearly. Yep. I was like, oh, well, I mean, I guess. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I have to bring this up. So at the end of episode 13, the last image we get to see is um, we mentioned that there's an old man who will write formulas in the parking lot with chalk. Um and this is supposedly like prophetic moments and stuff like that. At the end of a, at the end of the show, the last thing we see is we see an old man doing the same thing, but the old man is dead. It's Maniwa instead, and Maniwa's the reason why I say you never skip the prophetic visions. You never fucking skip the pr- prophetic visions ever, including the last one. It was a pretty good like <laughs> worth you it. Never moment. skip it. It makes me yeah. sad that Toonami couldn't incorporate the prophetic visions, but. I understand. They got the last they one. They couldn't. They did do the last one. They didn't oh. get all. They didn't do all of them. They did do the last one though. I forgot about that. Why they did wouldn't do the they final do one. that? That's weird. It's, it's, probably think, for time. I think, it's, I think it's yeah. I think it's a rule like in order to fit them into their uh, slots, yeah. like in credits, yeah. and it gets shortened. And next episode on previews just tend to get dropped entirely. It's like fifteen right. to thirty seconds of time that you can save. Yeah, but they. I forgot yeah. that they did do the last one with whatever, on the moon though. Whatever ad space they sold in those fifteen seconds was not worth it. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. Okay. I mean. Okay. I mean. To they be fair, sold not, at least like, the... one hot pocket. It was absolutely. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean. Okay. I mean. To be fair, it's not like the most awkward. I know. Like. I know it got really awkward when they aired like Home Alone: His Brotherhood back in the day because there were like definitely several scenes like after the credits that they just like mm. didn't air for some reason. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Okay. I, mean, I, sh- I should know. We're also assuming they watch these to know there's anything after the credits anyways. I would at least assume in the case of Toonami, they knew. Because they left the, left the last one They did one do the in. last one, yes. They didn't do any of the other ones with the actual old man, but they left the last one there. Which, out of context, though, does not make any sense. Which sucks. Um, but anyway, continue, Jet. Okay, uh, so anyway, moving on to uh, KG. Uh, it's kind of weird that for as many Kali does as we covered on this podcast, we, we very rarely got to talk about Michael McConaughey in any big way. It's and true, we never he, get to talk about him. He was in Last, last yeah. Exile, I think, but I don't remember if we even talked about him. Yeah. I know it, we yeah, talked about him on one show, Jet, where he was under a different name. It's a, uh, yeah, yeah, indeed we did. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but it kind of sucks we d- he kind of got to talk about him in any really big way, even though he's been around since the 80s. 
That could confirm he's been around since the 80s because uh, he was Count Cagliostro in the old uh, streamlined of Count Cagliostro because, mm-hmm. I, because I watched that movie like a month ago and I was like, oh wow, that's Michael McConaughey, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did they dub, but did uh, they like, I, dub that in the 80s? The, the, uh, the streamlined dub. I don't know. Okay, it was like the okay, it was like the 80s or like the very early 90s, but that dub is like really, really old. Okay, because I know the the manga entertainment one was like er, like the year 2000, like early, early 2000s. Okay. Uh, anyway, I've been a, anyway, I've always been a really big fan of his work, and while I see him do a lot of stuff over the years, and it's probably one of his more dramatic performances. He plays Katie as a very old school copy, very rigid in his way of thinking. And isn't exactly sensitive, which kind of makes it fun watching him bounce off of Liam O'Brien, who's uh, definitely a little bit nicer. And you kind of wish, uh, and it kind of wish maybe KG could be. Uh, but as the show goes on, we see that uh, while KG here is like very much set in his ways, uh, those ways have helped him to face reality as much as they've kind of heard his ability to accept change. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see this even as early on as episode four, where he's having a drink with pedo cops, just kind of like. Lamenting how much the world around him keeps changing and how much he kind of wishes life could be like it was in the good old days. And I thought Michael got across that whole weariness really well. Again, he, then, want, he, he, what he wanted to grow up to be a cop, to catch those thieves with the burlap sack. Yeah. He, he has that, that line in episode like 12 or 11 or 12 or something. Yeah, it's kind of interesting seeing him in that scene in contrast to like all those moments where he's talking with his wife about like, Trying to about like trying to stay strong and like how and how it's important not to flee from reality, even when he's kind of faltering himself. So I thought that kind of made him feel a little more human in a way. Yeah. And since Casey's kind of juggling all that, it's not too surprising when we get to the last couple of episodes that after he's lost his job and his old sense of purpose, he allows himself to kind of briefly flee reality for a while and escape to his own little fantasy world. Yes. Yeah, but like yeah, but like he said himself, he can only really flee from reality, but for so long and when. Besides, Fury probably reminds him of that. Michael does a really good job of kind of selling Katie's restored sense of conviction, where he literally breaks down the false reality he made for himself and chooses to accept that the place he had built for himself over all those years is kind of doesn't exist anymore, and he has to accept that. Yeah. And, uh, and besides, Reason Episode 11 kind of spelled out the theme of the show, that I think KT is probably the character who probably has to experience it the most firsthand. And while there's a lot of humanity to this show in general, I think he's the one who definitely gets the bulk of it. And meaning that there was simply a lot riding on Michael's performance, and I'm really glad he delivered here. Uh, it's debatable if he gave the best performance in the dub, but it was probably my personal favorite, and it definitely reminded me what a great actor he could be. I mean, I can 100% agree with that. I'm going to piggyback off with you. I'm actually going to start with Michael on this one. Um, I really... We don't get to often talk about Michael McConaughey, but when we do, it's always so much fun to, because I feel like he's a rather dynamic actor. Um, I need to fucking rewatch Code Geass, because Charles Z. Britannia is a piece of shit. <laughs> um, All I can think of is that one image of, like, just the Japanese text over his face where it's just, not this shit again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most I actually associate with Charles Z. Britannia. Um... But uh, I really enjoy Michael's performance of Ikari. Um, he's this no-nonsense cop, very straight, very narrow, this this very traditional old-school kind of guy. Um, and that comes through very, very... That very much comes through in the performance. Um, and like Jet was saying, like it kind of... After he gets... He and Maniwa get fired after Suspect is dies in custody, 
he starts to like he lo he lost his place in this world because that's all he's known and that's how he's figured his place to be but because society has been changing and shifting around he doesn't have that place in in the world anymore so he's kind of lost and eventually it does lead him to try and escape his own reality again I don't think we we didn't quite bring it up. All of these characters, in some form or other, try to find a way to escape their own realities. Mm -hmm. um, kind of some, kind of some of them of the are, show. Yep, some of it is more obvious than others. Um, some of it not so much. Um, and then there are characters who don't have that that trait. Um, I know Kawazu didn't have it. I know Ushiyama didn't have it, but. A lot of the other characters in the show, you certainly can see it in some form or fashion. Um, with Michael, it's <laughs> with Michael. His escape, Ikari's escape from reality, is this cardboard cutout world of 1950s Japan, where it, it it's an old school world where the cops go after the thieves with the burlap sacks and all this fun <laughs> stuff. And he, and this is his world. This is his place in the world. This is what he's known for so long. Um, but I really love that, Jet, you brought up that end bit um, where he realizes that he lost his place a while ago because not only does he have to really give that a strong, strong um, delivery, this is also the moment where he breaks out of his fantasy world and he gets back into the reality of what's going on at this point, which is utter, stu utter fucking chaos. Um... <laughs> Thank, thanks, guys. <laughs> but I really think for Michael, that's definitely one of the high points of his performance is that bit. Because that is a very climactic moment for the whole, for the whole show. And it is also a climactic moment for him and his character. Um, uh, <laughs> Liam O'Brien. <laughs> oh, Liam O'Brien. <laughs> to say that this is probably my favorite performance is an understatement. <laughs> Because Liam O'Brien goes to some very interesting places with Maniwa. Um, Maniwa, again, starts off as this young, upbeat cop who's more optimistic, and he kind of opens... His, he's kind of a bit more... He's a little bit more open-minded about different things and what's going on and how to treat people, because Akari can be rather harsh with people, um, i.e. when he basically beats... almost beats the shit out of uh, the, suspe the um, suspect in custody. <laughs> in episode seven seven um but over the course of the show we see maniwa's obsession over this case continuing to grow frighteningly so and episode seven seven mhz is the episode really primarily dedicated to maniwa's point of view and it shows how this case is affecting him hardcore. Liam O'Brien's scary fucking radio voice is very, very disturbing. Because there are two different points where he basically is on the radio and trying to figure out answers with the Little Slugger case. One is in episode 7. The second is episode... Uh, 12. Uh, 12, yep, Radar Man. It's literally the beginning of Radar Man, yeah. The beginning of Radar Man. Um, and it's so unsettling and so creepy. And... It, this is one of those rare times because I love Liam O'Brien as an actor, and I'm sad he doesn't really do anime much, if at all, anymore. Uh, he, um, he's making that critical role money. I know, right? 
Good for him. He'll probably pop up as guard. To which, side note, him and one other person that we're going to discuss next, <laughs> they probably had so much fun during the Holy Warrior segments, mm-hmm. and in Liam's case, the Radar Man segments. You can tell those D&D brains were, those D&D brains were just <laughs> going crazy, and they Holy loved cow. the shit out of that. Um, it was really scored a nat 20 on these rolls. Fucking minstrel Maniwa, let's go. They really scored one on I'm these a, rolls. I'm going to drive to New Jersey and kick you for that, Andrew. Okay, <laughs> I just wanted to be acknowledged for my terrible statement. Thank you, buddy. God damn it. But anyway, Liam O'Brien, he gets to go dark sometimes, but he doesn't often, I, in my opinion, get to go like super obsessed crazy dark, which is what Maniwa is. Um, and it just becomes, like, the slow decline of this character's mentality is just very chilling and captivating to watch for me, um, that I just absolutely love every fucking second of it. To, and, side note, <laughs> fun fact, I actually talked to Jed about this earlier before we started recording, and Andrew already knows about this. What? So, Noah and Amon, fun fact for the two of you. Mm-hmm. In Happy Family Planning, yes, yeah, there is a moment where the three characters in the sh- in that episode yep. are discussing their good friend Fox. Oh, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. After they mention, yeah, Fox is dead and all that stuff, mm-hmm. it yeah. goes back to because one of the big things that they do throughout the course of the show is show chat logs, right? Yeah, because they met online before Dura Ra Ra made it popular. Very much, but. Instead of it be Fox being a character that they talked to, they talked to someone named Horse, right? Okay. And what Horse says is that little... I'm, I'm roughly paraphrasing. That little slugger goes after people who are emotionally put in a corner. Yes. Right? The instant I saw that yesterday when I was watching that episode, I'm like... That is exactly what Maniwa said in episode two or before. It is. It's like word for word. It's they word they for keep word. using that phrase, yeah. It is actually Maniwa in that chat board. As the character Horse. Yes. Correct, because want to know something fun? Oh. Does Maniwa mean horse in Japanese or something? You would be correct. Oh. There we go. It could mean horse and the old man at one point in one of the prophetic visions refer to the unicorn, which would be another significant yeah. characteristic to Maniwa. So he yeah. evolves from being a horse to, to a be a unicorn. unicorn. And then by the end, he's an alicorn. Pretty much. But yeah. Because he can fly because uh, he's on the moon. Yeah. And we're not horsing around about this whole No. Bit. Correction. The other possible term, the term you might be looking for is a pegasus, Noah. Watch more My Little Pony, fucking casual. God damn. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway, bottom line, I love both these performances, um, but I would say for me personally, Liam O'Brien is my favorite of the show. Let's move on to Andrew. Hi. Your thoughts on these performances. Uh, So here's the short version. Mm -hmm. Yes. These are the best performances in the entirety of Paranoia Agent. You lie! You, I, I agree with that. I can agree with that. Okay, going more into this, uh, let's go into uh, Ikari. Ikari is basically just... Would it be correct to say he's basically just the boomer of this show? <laughs> you, you, would, uh, you would not be wrong. Do, do, they, ha- do they have boomers in Japan? 
like, mean, yeah, yeah, like Japan, 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 Japan generational divides don't quite match up the way they do in America. They don't. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, uh, yeah they don't quite match up the the way they do here, but they do have very clear generational divides. Yeah, this is true. I mean, but like, I mean, look, he, I'm not gonna have a discussion about the fact that he's like an Edo period or a. You Kansai should be having that. Or, I don't know this shit. I don't know that shit. I know them as. Boomers. So this, is not bu- feudal Japan, Andrew. this is not bubblegum crisis, Andrew. You, you as you can see, right. I am the wrong person to talk about the correct Japanese generational divides in this uh, anime English dub podcast. I don't know Jack. <laughs> well, you should anyway. talk to Jack. He's a good buddy. Anyways, the car is a boomer, and you can't convince me otherwise. God damn it. Um, but <laughs> Michael McConaughey it. has this very good, like, stern, like... He's been at this for a long time, and the, basically what he knows is that there is a reason for why crimes are committed. Mm-hmm. Something is to be gained, something is to be received, there is a cause and effect, yes. there is no random causality or random incalculable violence and chaos. Yes. If there is no rhyme, if there is no motive, if there is no reason... What the fuck's the point of his job? Mm-hmm. If everybody is just doing a crime without any reason, what's his job to even solve it if there's no reason? Yep. What's his job to bring people to justice if they don't think they're doing anything wrong? That what what is crime? What is justice? What is evil? What is good? And he is basically just going through the entirety of the series having what is basically a crisis. A crisis of whether he actually matters or if he really matters in the grand scheme of things. His wife gives... His wife does not give in to the temptation of Little Slugger. He himself, he gives in pretty easily. Okay. Well, Correction. He gets beaten... Mm-hmm. He, gets, he basically gets beaten to the lowest he's ever been and basically... Inadvertently. He's not... He's not... He's not a direct victim of Little Slugger, but, like, an inadvertent victim of Little Slugger. He's basically trapped well, every- by Moromi. Yeah. It's Moromi's fault. He's a victim of Moromi. He's a victim of Moromi. <laughs> well, Moromi well, saved him near the end there. We'll, we'll explain why in a minute. Yeah, we will. Wait a second. But McConaughey's got this very rich voice that's very, like, it's very stern, powerful, commanding. Yes. It can also be really silly. Because, like, I, the the entire sequence of him talking to the little slugger copycat, along with him and Maniwa, where he is just... Where basically, Maniwa's whole deal is that he's effectively humor... He is humoring his discussion, and he doesn't... Is, well, Maniwa's humoring him, and Ma- Kari does not. Maniwa is effectively trying to get into his head, and it's like, okay, we're doing a D&D game right now. All right, so what's your class? Okay, you need a mage, you need a storyteller. All around the mulberry bush, my partner chases a loony. I don't know what I'm doing here. (laughs) He's just, okay, if I I had to describe it. That was great. Basically, if I had to describe it, um, uh, the fake little slugger is the D&D, um... Maniwa is the willing and excited participant who wrote his character sheet two days ago. Yes. And uh, Ikari just g- came for the free snacks and he does not want to be there at Fuck. all. He's only there because his other plans <laughs> fell through. Yep. He's doing his best. Yep. 
He's gonna drink till he can't drink anymore. Michael McConaughey is really, really good, and I just the entire quirkiness of that episode is great. I love how he punches the giant thing at the end, and he's just I'm like, "Give me a fucking by break!" Idiots. But no, he's got this really great chemistry with all these characters. Mm -hmm. He's got great comedy. He's got great drama, great existential crisis, and I love when he breaks out when he sees his wife for the last uh, time, yes. and he breaks out. And he's just like, I've accepted there is no place for me anymore. And it's so good. Mariwa. Mariwa. Oh, Mariwa. Jesus fucking Christ, Liam O'Brien. He is the young guy on the force. He's he's new. He's green. He's trying to do his best. He sees things from a more modern perspective. Mm -hmm. He also loses his fucking mind. <laughs> He's very quirky. He's fun. He's casual. He's approachable. He's the goddamn, like, drank the Kool-Aid conspiracy theory that he is just grody, and he is losing his goddamn mind. Oh, you're talking about Radar Man, Money while later on. Now we're okay. talking about Radar All Man. All right, good. Like he, like, goes from, like, he goes from humoring the uh, fantasy to straight up being consumed by it he mm. he breaks into the old man on his deathbed asking him for sagely advice yes but he gets it follow he gets the it. bunny he gets it. follow the dance with the bunny there oh you god go. he gets helped by anime figures if that doesn't get us <laughs> it doesn't get any okay more that. That, i'm so glad they put that part in there i, I we talked about how cone has like a, a thing against you know like that otaku. kind of otaku culture. Oh, and, the, the the otaku character in this it, show, like goddamn. No, he's like I, I love that he he took the time to throw actual shade at you know that kind of collector. Like yeah, we're we're going 100%. to like look at this asshole that we've got to work with is what the anime figures say straight to his face. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, this guy's kind of worthless. We're here to help you instead. Yep. But yeah, no, uh, Liam O'Brien just he's got the way the when he gets really like encapsulated in this. He gets really angry. Kind of like, scarily prideful. Mm, okay, like, I see it. Like he's, not, like, he's not excited that he's ready to solve a crime. He's excited that he's ready to defeat a villain. Defeat a monster. Like, he, he's no longer in this to solve the mystery. He's in it to be the hero. And in yes. the end, not only do, like, he's good at solving the mystery, but he doesn't save the day. He gets basically bent the fuck out. He gets just tossed against the wall once he gets his holy sword, and he doesn't matter. Yep. He doesn't matter, and he's consumed by chaos, and he just loses his mind. Liam O'Brien's fucking good. Holy shit. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, these two are the best performances in the show, and they're really compelling characters, too. So, uh, these two characters are good, and kind of a repeat of everything that you guys said in your sections. Um, yeah, Michael's... Uh, craggly old pattern works for his character. That's good. I, d I do like that. Um, uh, I have a little problem with Cone sometimes, and that he seems a little bit like um, a guy. What's his name? Who's the guy who directed Penguin Drum Jet? Uh, Ikuhara. Thank you, Ikuhara. I couldn't remember the name. Uh, Cone feels a little bit like Ikuhara in that he has like obvious thoughts and emotions about societal problems, but he doesn't always know how to frame his. Uh, answer to the problem in the best way. So you got uh, Ikari here, who's like retreated back into the past here, and we're supposed to think that, okay, this is not the way to go, because he shatters that and says, no, I will not retreat into the past, I will face my fears, even if it means that I don't have a place in this modern world here. But that doesn't, but it doesn't really seem to fit in with the whole 
Lil Slugger thing, because Lil Slugger is all about, like, just collapse to escape your problems. Like, you don't I... have to... Yeah, go no, that's that's the that's that's the idea is that like all the people who get hit by little slugger are trying to escape their problems rather than go through the painful process of going yeah. through them. That's why the lady gets amnesia. Like the worse in the moment but ultimately healthier thing would be to deal with the horrible revelation she's had rather than just forgetting it and everything else. Right. Like, that's the unhealthy way. Any more thoughts on the performances for these two? Not, not really, no. I, I think you guys covered all the points on Michael and Liam. They're, they're fitting for what uh, parts they had there, and I can't think of anyone else uh, better fitting them. I Honestly, I thought I'd heard Michael in more stuff before, and I'm going through his biography trying to remember, like, where else have I heard him from? And the only other thing I can recognize on here is he played Puss in Boots on the old Saban dub of Grimm's Fairy Tale Classics, and I have to find that episode now just to listen to Michael McConaughey play Puss in Boots. Wasn't he also in Monster 2, actually? Uh, yes. I haven't because seen Monster. I, I didn't want to include that role because I wanted to talk about Kenzo Tenma. Um, for Jet and Amon, because they will know, he's Franz Bonaparte. Mm. Okay. But yeah, that, so. that's all I got. Pass the mic over to... Amon. Amon. Uh, yeah, Michael's great, and, um, boy, Lean gets cast as, like, guys who get grungy trying to solve complicated mysteries a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, between this and Tenma, like... I mean, that's all That's all I really know. I know. <laughs> like, those are the two, two big points. ones for me. Uh, yeah, Michael, I think, just does a good job of bringing out a lot of, uh, Ikari's just humanity and what he's struggling to go through. Uh, and I think Liam just does a good job of writing that line of, like, you know, he's just the more relaxed guy, and then eventually he becomes... I'll be honest, I compared him to Fox Mulder, but Fox Mulder had a much better, stronger grip on reality than, um, you know, has at the end. Where it's like, alright, you're just, you're kind of in, he's not wrong, but he is definitely suffering from full-blown delusions at that point. It's rough. Yeah. Just, he's, just... He's, he's technically correct, but... He's technically not correct, and now he's he, not really he, gonna be... He's correct, anymore. he cracks the case, and then just basically thanks the old master and steals a guy's bat, and he's just like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> he, he is one step above putting a bunch of red lines on the wall trying to figure out who the fuck Pepe Silvia is. God damn it. Now I'm just imagining, like, with the very smooth, grungy Liam O'Brien voice, Pepe Sylvia, Pepe Sylvia, just with the radio radar man voice, Pepe Sylvia, it's Pepe Sylvia, it's Pepe Sylvia. Andrew, Andrew, stop. You're gonna th you're gonna give yourself a fucking aneurysm or something. Jesus Christ, Aunt Amon, please continue. It all comes. I'm done. Oh, you're done. Okay. We're three hours. It's almost midnight. I want to go to sleep. I know. We have one section. There's too much shit going on. Okay. I apologize in advance because, goddamn, this last section is probably the fucking meatiest because there's <sighs> no way you can talk about any of these three characters separately because they are all interconnected. Tsukiko Sagi, Little Slugger, Moromi. Holy shit. So, Moromi, holy shit, indeed. <laughs> So Tsukiko Sagi is a character designer. She created the character, a, a pink plush dog, Moromi. Uh, she is the first victim of the Little Slugger attacks. Um, however, we learn halfway through the show because of the aforementioned old woman that uh, she kind of uh, did self-inflicted injuries and did it to herself. Um, but because of the mass hysteria and, and this whole panic and ensuing and everything growing, Little Slugger becomes too large of an entity. Um... 
And by the end of the show, we're going straight to the end of the show for spoilers. We find out that this is not the first time Tsukiko pulled something like this. She pulled something similar of this nature 10 years ago of a street assault where she claimed she was attacked by some kid with a baseball bat. However, it was in order to lie to her father that she is the reason why her pet dog, Maromi, ends up getting run over by a fucking car and dies because she wasn't paying attention. So, didn't really need to see that graphic in the show. I gotta drive the point home. Childhood oh. drama and disassociation will fuck you up, man. Uh, it's true. I'm also gonna throw in a side note for Little Slugger. Um, the person who voices Little Slugger also voices fake Little Slugger, whose name is Makoto Kozuka. Mm-hmm. Mako- Kozuka ends up being a victim himself. Um, he is the kid who ends up in police custody, has the Holy Warrior episode, and goes all fucking full D&D on us, and he ends up killed at the hands of of Little Slugger while in police custody and is the reason why Ikari and Maniwa get fired. So, and two side notes for names. Kozuka also means Fox. Fox is the individual who messages fucking during Happy Family Planning. Cool. Uh, Sukiko is an interesting <laughs> one. So Sukiko, first of all, is... Um, translates roughly into moon child Uh, and there are a couple instances in terms of moon representation and symbolism throughout the course of the show but the bigger one that i want to point out is her last name of sagi Mm -hmm. sagi in kanji can means heron which is the bird heron however it can also mean scam or fraud but anyway the individuals who are voicing these characters as tsukiko sagi we have miss michelle ruff who has voiced characters such as help me with that first one please kirari momobami Thank you, from Kakigurui, Anri Sonohara in Durarara, and Fujikamine in some various Loop on the Third iterations. Little Slugger slash Makoto Kozuka is voiced by Sam Regal, who has voiced characters such as... Fuck. <laughs> Mephisto Fellas. Thank you, Mephisto Fellas in Blue Exorcist, Viral in Gurren Lagan, and, for shits and giggles, because Andrew pointed this out to me, Metal Bat in One Punch Man. Oh! Uh, as... <laughs> yes! Yep! <laughs> That's funny. What if that was on as, purpose? As Probably. for Maromi, she is Maromi is voiced by Miss Carrie Savage, who oh is char- <laughs> who is voiced characters such as Junko Kaname in uh, Puella uh, Majai Madoka Magica, uh, Rime Sakihata in Chaos Head, and Lizana Strauss in Fairy Tale. Why don't we start with Jet, please? Okay. Uh, so anyway, I guess I'll start with uh, Sam Regal as uh, as Little Slugger and also uh, Kuzika. Which, which as we were, which as we were just talking, I kind of like, I kind of realized, I kind of realized, I suppose I should have done it any sooner that like, of all the characters, uh, little slugger quote unquote saves, like none of them actually die except for Kurzka. Yep, it, so it's, that, it's, as, it's probably also important to note real quick that the only victims Kozuka goes after are Ushiyama and Papa Hirakawa. That's it. Yeah, it's also worth that, noting it, that Kozuka wanted to die. It's also that, worth yeah, noting. That, yes. yeah, that, yeah, so that's probably yeah, so that's probably the escape he wanted. Yes. Does that mean so. the animators also wanted to die? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. Yep. The- the whole anime episode thing, that's episode fucking 10. Episode um, 10. That, like, that's Satoshi Kon poking at the anime industry and how stressful it can fucking be, 100%. Like he but, said, he admits it. Yeah, it's fitting because this is the first, to our knowledge, this is the first time he's worked on a television production. Everything else had been films yes. or OVAs before this. Yep, correct. Anyway, Jet. 
Okay. But anyway, yeah, I thought Sam Riggle did a really good job of making like little smucker and sound unsettling for like the few lines he gets. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I like hearing Sam Riggle's voice in general, and he's and he's always been pretty good at that sort of thing. As Kurzaka, he's also uh, he's also one of fun. He does a really good job of making him sound like kind of unhinged. Like he very much buys into this whole weird like Dragon Quest delusion. <laughs> <he's under. laughs> I am the Holy Warrior. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, well, it's kind of amusing, and it is also kind of neatly disturbing. It's like, yeah, this is like, yeah, this game really needs some therapy. Your aura still glows you're yellow. Right. You're right, he needs therapy, but unfortunately, he's not going to get it. Um. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I thought, sorry, I thought that Sam Regal did a good job. Uh, Michelle Ruff as uh, Tukiko was also uh, was also pretty interesting. And so, hey, Michelle Ruff's uh, dubbed like basically got a memory kind of role under the sun at this point. So I, so, uh, so, uh, so I know she has a pretty so I know she has a pretty good range and she can do a lot of stuff. But I, I really uh, this is probably one of the few examples I can think of where she plays a character who's kind of like more on the repressive end of things. So I thought it was kind of interesting to see her do something a little quieter than usual. Mm-hmm. And uh, while Fikigo doesn't speak all that much for how prominent of a character she is, I thought that Michelle did a really good job of making her seem kind of like uh, kind of repressed and soft-spoken, and you can definitely tell she's very much not a people person and has like a very hard time doing with other people, which is why she, which, uh, which is why she, uh, which is why she kind of escapes reality constantly through Morobi and also like creating little slugger, I guess. And mm-hmm. I thought, and so I, I thought Michelle did a really good job of. With that, and then when like she finally is forced to confront reality, as I, I thought that uh, Michelle did a really good job of selling her like minor breakdown pretty believably. It's the end, the end. I mean, the, and I mean, I guess it is. I don't know if it's weird to just like the one character who, sorry, who I guess probably got the happiest ending out of the entire cast, but yeah, like nothing, like nothing really happened to her in the end, which is kind of weird, but. She got a haircut and a new job. <laughs> That's really the big things, yeah. I guess, yeah, that you would say. She got to go on living. Yes. <laughs> yeah. she right. got, no. She got to move on. Mm. Yeah. That's, that is a big thing for her, yes. It's not only just that, like, she got the chance to live or that she got a new opportunity. She moved on. Because she faced reality. Yep. You're right. Yep. So, yep. So, uh, yeah, that's a good point. So, it, so yeah, in that respect, I like the performance of that bitch. I did a really good job. And then let's talk about Carrie Savage's Maromi, that little, <laughs> that evil little dog. Evil? Why <laughs> Maromi did nothing wrong. Evil jet. Aside from cutting the cord on the phone, Maromi did nothing wrong. Take a rest. Take a rest. <laughs> Take a rest. Oh, Take God, a rest. Stop. Okay, okay, okay. So, yeah, so, okay, so in the early episodes, it's kind of hard to tell exactly what Maromi's deal is. Well, it's not, okay, well, it's pretty obvious in a rewatch, but in the first couple of episodes, the first time I watched the show, I could, like, totally tell what Maromi's deal was. Yeah. It's really clear that Maromi was, like, trying to be very, like, protective of Suvike. I thought that Carrie did a really good job of getting that across pretty well. But uh, as we get further into the show, where, like, Tsukiko is facing, like, more and more pressure, we see that, like, Maromi's help maybe isn't the best thing for her. Yep. And then we're like, and then when we get into the last few episodes, it's just, like, full on denial, like, oh, it's not your fault, Tsukiko. Like, 
Because like, everyone's, everyone's like, no, like, everyone's like, no, you gotta, like, you have to face this. You need to accept reality. You have to face it. And so he's like, yep. That everyone was just like, no, 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 you don't have to face it. You can keep running. Like, you can keep running. I'll protect you. And it's like, eh. And then here's Manu. I like, shut the fuck up, Maromi. Stakiko let you die. Stop. <laughs> and Carrie just knows every bit of, like, how utterly unsettling that little dog is. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, it was a night with a really fun, kind of really creepy performance. I honestly could not tell that was Carrie Savage. It's just kind of weird because I'm pretty familiar with her voice at this point. Really? Like, I, okay. Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, I've definitely heard her. I mean, obviously I've heard her do kinds of music characters, but that was definitely, like, the highest pitch I've ever heard her go, yeah. so I couldn't tell immediately it was her. All right. So, yeah, but anyway, yeah, I thought all three of these performances were were really good. Uh, they definitely had the right amount of atmosphere for what the show was going for. All right. Amon, your thoughts, please. Oh, where to start? Uh, I keep forgetting Sam Regal's been acting for this long. Uh, yeah. But he's really good as Little Slugger. I especially like his performances, like Fake Little Slugger, where he just goes on and on about whatever weird dragging questy fantasy he's going through right now he just he really commits to it um i do like his performance as just like little slugger who doesn't really have lines but he does have to like you know emote mm -hmm. uh especially during the bit that we talked about so much earlier with uh uh Visae, where he's just really furious <laughs> she won't shut the yeah. fuck up so he can hit her in the head already uh, also, and then when he, also, and then when he does get the... to hit her in the head, it, she doesn't shut up anyway. So you also, know. some of the stories in um, episode nine, etc, is fun too. <laughs> There's a little bat poking up out of the water, <laughs> or or pregnant lady with a, a little apparently the ultrasound little, in the, the ultrasound, a little slugger in the bat. <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ. The guy yeah, who pulverized the sushi platter made me sad. Oh, like that's that's a waste of food and cake. I'm it sad was. about that too. Yeah, I got to say the worst thing about the ultrasound story is that like I is that 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 story actually did sound really believable right it up did. until that moment. <laughs> it did, and then you get the ultrasound. I'm like, what the fuck? Like that seems like a nightmare scenario. <laughs> anyway, Alman, continue. Uh, yeah, so I, I think Sam turns in a really good performance. Uh, Michelle, I think, is really good as Sukiko. She just sells Sukiko's just vulnerability and fragility really well like you can tell this is a woman who has suddenly gotten very famous and she does not really like it but she doesn't really have the personality that lends itself to objecting that or trying to you know just even just get anything her way and so you it's sort of this weird position where like she's clearly at the center of things and you just kind of feel bad for her like mm -hmm. you don't want any of this yeah you, you making the successful character was the worst thing that has ever happened to you <laughs> you can't do anything about it because it's now your life. Um, I think she just does that really well. But now let's talk about Carrie. <laughs> One of my mild frustrations with life as someone who really likes uh, horror fiction is that anime and horror fiction don't interact intersect very often to the point where I hear a lot of anime fans talk about horror and I think, what the fuck are you rambling on about? You don't know a goddamn thing. <laughs> uh, Not wrong. One of my frustrations is that in a world where this did happen, I Morobi would be like a, a horror creature for the ages that you would get merchandise of and so on. Um, Maromi and so... Chucky's wild adventure. <laughs> I mean, you Shit. laugh, but like, you're not wrong. That That's like, I mean, if they can do a, you know, a Freddy versus Jason movie, I could totally see a Chucky versus Maromi episode. Oh yeah. Lord. Uh, and I, Carrie does a wonderful job partially cause she's so 
she's so unnerving, and I want to I want to give credit to what I think is at least something that they've done, where it sounds like she's already talking at kind of a high register, mm-hmm. and I think for parts of it, I think they're electronically pitching her up as well, because I can definitely hear okay. parts where you can hear kind of an electronic tinge to some of her lines. Huh. So I was wondering uh, I about th- that. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a deliberate thing too. In addition, so she sounds cutesy, but there's also something not obviously wrong, but just something's amiss here. Okay. Like even 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 when you first see her and you're not sure what's going on, there's something just sinister about it. Right. Uh, and I think I think I, I think that's intentional. I think that works really really well. Yeah, like I, it's it, I don't know if it's the best performance, but I think it's my favorite just because I think it's just calculated and executed really really well, and I really enjoy it. Andrew, your thoughts, please. Okay, so I'll start with uh, Carrie Savage as Maromi, which is this very adorable, uncanny, somewhat unnerving little dog creature that it just doesn't move right, which I think one of the things I remember from the same iPad Wolf Steph uh, yes. referenced earlier yes. is that it moves the way it actually looks, which is that... Its head is physically too big to support the body it's on. And it kind of, like, stumbles and ragdolls Mm -hmm. the same way. And it sounds and feels the same way. It feels like the performance is delivered in a way where it's like... It sounds like it... It sounds like that voice can come from that thing... But it doesn't sound like it should come from that thing. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I describe it, is that it that's what you expect, but it seems off from what it should be to. And that's not even going into, holy shit, a talking dog. It's just, no, it's just slightly unnerving and uncanny and cute and sweet. And take a rest. Take a re- I hear take a rest just in my head now, thanks to you, sweetie. I sometimes say it. And he gets mad at me. <laughs> it's fun. Look, you ever want to just be nice and cozy and cuddly, and then your girl's just like, take a rest. Take a rest. Take a rest. <laughs> You're welcome. Anyway, moving on. Carrie Savage does a really fantastic job, and I also love when Maromi actually snaps near the end. Mm. I don't even mean like when Maromi's a giant fucking, uh... Behemoth. Behemoth that's just pitched down harder. Sukiko, run! <laughs> I, I just mean, like, when when Maromi's freaking out, is like, this is your world! You belong here! Why are you dead? It's like, oh my god, yeah, no, that's fucking creepy. That uncanny. Sam Regal. Holy shit, Sam Regal's got a lot he's working with here. Mm. He gets to play the creepy, unnerving little demon child. And he also gets to play the kind of psychotic, goofy, uh, suicidal Shunibio fuck. <laughs> Shunibio fuck. Great, thanks. The whole, like, the whole D&D, like, adventure episode is actually, like, genuinely hilarious. And, like, Sam is just chewing the scenery with that level of camp. And it's so good. Just, like, him and Liam playing off each other is so funny, so good. But also, he's just really creepy and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like, just the way he introduces himself, the way he exits, hello again, and goodbye. Just very simple, but Mm -hmm. just very poignant. Because hello again, it's like, oh yeah, no, 
he's come at her before. It's like, no. You've used him before. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, yeah, that's, that's yep. one of those good little things to catch. Uh, Sam does a really stellar job, like, both as Slugger and as Kozuka. Both very different characters, but also one in the same. There's two, but one in the same. I think Sam... Sam's an exceptional actor, and I think legit... I really like hearing him strut his stuff, and I think he, even if it's kind of a small and far and in between, he does a really good job in the show. Michelle Ruff. She's pretty good as Sukiko. I don't have much to really say about Michelle Ruff because it's a very kind of quiet, very listless performance, which is kind of similar to some other things Michelle's done in the past before. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's bad. I think she does a very good job. I don't have too much to say about it, but I think Sukiko's a very interesting, tragic character. Almost in a way, I think that... This is going to sound weird. I almost feel like the show's a little meaner to her than it should be in a weird way listen here mm. if it wasn't for Sakika, we wouldn't have this mess to begin this with. is true but i also feel like i don't know i guess maybe like in the end it almost seems like there's some level of judgment about like the dog and stuff at the end mm-hmm. which like the reality is the, yeah, the true and the true killer were period cramps all along Really? Okay. Really? Why? Why you have to go there? Look, it's, I'm, it's true that we, you know, those should be outlawed. Absolutely. Look, okay, Trust, look. as a woman, yes. I, I'm going, but why? Like, why I remember this joke? was a discussion we had when this was on Toonami, where it's like, I think, I think. Meg, it was Megan. I think Megan brought up to me that you could almost kind of interpret, like, the, the sort of stomach ache maybe mm-hmm. as, like, a, an early cramp. It's possible. Because Megan watched it for the first time on Toonami. Mm-hmm. So I it's like I, I didn't actually take that writing into consideration, but like, oh, maybe. But it's just... It's, it's just like legit. explicit enough. It's, it's explicit enough, yes. It is like she is basically just this little stunted kid that really hasn't been able to get past this one trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really upsetting, and you see like her finally come to terms with it and deal with the guilt. Yeah. And it's really good stuff. I mean, how Michelle would you? F- does a very nice job. I mean, how would you feel if like the one thing that you had the most guilt for suddenly became a national phenomenon? That would fuck you up, yeah. Well, she probably didn't expect it to go that far. Is the problem? This is true. No. Anyway, Noah, your thoughts on these performances, please. Yeah, I'll piggyback off of that to talk about Michelle because here's the thing: I didn't like Michelle's performance at first. Mm. Okay. Okay, because I, I can I can understand that. Okay, well, I don't know if you know why, but the reason why is because. Uh, I found her delivery a little flat at first. Like you had this first episode where she's, um, you know, she's obviously being swept up in the fame of creating a character that's becoming the new Pokemon of Japan, and she doesn't know yeah. how to build on the success of that. But as you get more into the show, and you find out that she's not as innocent as she first appears. Like I thought the flatness was her was Michelle not conveying enough of the like wholesomeness and the sweetness of. This character that is clearly just a precious little cinnamon roll who did absolutely nothing wrong. But as you you know, learn more about the character and you find out, no, she, she's got a bit of a more deceitful side to her. You know, she she broke her freaking leg to get out of uh, something that she couldn't get past. She got that, out of work for that shit. She, she Most did. college students wish they could do that. They do. And, I mean, most of us 
maybe some, but most of us didn't do that. We sucked it up, and we failed that psychology test just like anyone else did. <laughs> Not wrong. I, 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 I did well in psychology. My point is, is that most people, and I, I argue this is the show's thesis, is that you should confront the things that are causing you anxiety, even if it's not good for you at first. You know, you got to face them. So, yeah, Michelle's performance, I thought, was flat at first. But, again, I, I feel like she was already trying to convey that she's hiding some uh, some deeper, darker part of herself. In this case being the she's not being totally truthful and, you know, she's lying to the police. That That's going to mess you up a little bit, trying to hide that secret for however long she can keep it going. And that's why she collapses in episode six because the lie is not holding together anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, I think that I like that she uses kind of her lower register here, kind of closer to her um, Yuki Nagato pitch. But for yes. someone who's uh, obviously like a more shy, subdued person. So mm-hmm. yeah, on, on that end, she did good. I don't have as many notes on Sam, unfortunately, because uh, he did nothing wrong. The, the, the actor, the actor did nothing wrong. Um, I'll say, Little Slugger did a lot wrong. Little Slugger Little did Slugger quite did a few a things. Lot. It, it's, it's funny because, you know, uh, Sukiko's job was you need to create a, a mascot character that's just as popular as Moromi. She kind of did. Little Slugger was yeah. another character she created, and it became just as infamous as Moromi did. Yeah. Anyways, though. that's a monkey's paw curling kind of thing. But yeah, Anyways. Sam Sam did a good job, and um, I do like uh, the, the part that sticks out to me the most is not even the little slugger parts. It's um, I think it's it's in the megahertz episode where uh, he's he's insisting that I'm a holy warrior and I I yes. was just doing. But then his uh, he, he kind of breaks essentially right before his suicide happens. And he, you get to hear Sam really play up the, the dramatical parts of it, which in an early or mid-2000s dub could have gone, like, very wrong. Like, we were still not entirely up to the point where you could get dramatic moments all the way to, you know, where they are right now. But he pulled that off, like, coupled with the animation and uh, Michael working off of his voice. Uh, he did a really good job on that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Sam's a good little slugger. He's a good little slugger. And, and- Carrie Savage? Carrie Savage, as um, I kind of agree with Amon. I do think that there was some digital pitching going on there because the highest that I had heard her aside from this was actually as uh, Makono from the Hulk and Subasa Chronicle franchise, which is it's uh, you know it's it's high pitched and that sounded like as high as Carrie could go in her normal like regular falsetto voice. She's not Sandy Fox. She can't quite get up to the various highest uh, pitch. So I do think that there may have been some high pitch going on there. But everything else you guys all said about the creepy factor working really well and we need the horror movie for this character, all agree with really well. Awesome. That leaves me. I'm going to start with Michelle as Tsukiko on this one. Um, Tsukiko is very quiet, very soft-spoken. Um, she, she doesn't really take social cues very well. She doesn't really... She's not good with people, <laughs> and she's not good with stress. <laughs> Hence why Little Slugger's a thing that exists. Um, and I think Michelle portrays those bits very, very well. I can see what Noah's saying about probably not liking the performance at first because we weren't 100% sure what what Sakiko's deal actually is, and it doesn't seem to match what her current lifestyle is, but then you learn 
what's happening and then it makes more sense. I think Michelle is very soft. She's very sweet. She's just very quiet. And I had a note somewhere here. And I'm going to go from that and directly into the last episode. She, she can get very scary when desperate. And I say this, the flashback where Sukiko is with her younger self. And she's in the incident where her puppy, Maromi, ends up dying. And Babby, Babby Sukiko is in, is in the middle of the road with the puppy and is like, I, it's not my fault. He's the one who did it. He's the one who did it. And is like getting so angry. And just comes off very scary and very desperate. I really enjoy that. It's I think one of the few one the one of the few, if not the only times, where Michelle has to change the tone of voice a bit more and change the emotion of the character. And it works very, very well and I enjoy it. Carrie Savage's Maromi. I'm gonna go with her next. <laughs> Maromi comes off as this sweet, cute little mascot character. I know I know Pokemon was used. This is more of like a some Hello Kitty shit. Some Sanrio. Some like. Sanrio shit happening here with Maromi. And Carrie just is so adorable. She's very sweet. She's very protective. Um, but Maromi also knows what's up for most of it. She knows what's up. It's like, it's okay, Sukiko. It's not your fault. It's his fault. It's all his fault. Maromi we mentioned that a lot of the characters have their own way of escaping reality. Maromi is Tsukiko's way of escaping reality. You know who Maromi is? Maromi is the... Maromi. Maromi is the friend slash family member that will never point out any mistake or flaw you've made and will coddle you and say it's not your fault. Ooh. It's everybody else's fault. And I those friends are not real friends. You need a friend who's going to tell you the truth right to your face. Mm, I see it. But, um... I've always I've always loved Carrie's portrayal of Maromi so much because it's this it's very sweet and cute but it can borderline like sickly sweet and cute if that makes sense like because you as the audience may not know it and Maromi probably just doesn't realize it either part of it but there's more to Maromi because, again, we learned that Maromi and Little Slugger are one and the same, and they were both created by Tsukiko. Um, but Carrie is cute. She's adorable. I love it. It's a fun performance. Sam Regal is Little Slugger. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sam is, has to do a similar task that Erica Schaefer does. I say similar, not 100% the same. Um, because Sam has to basically portray two different characters in this. He has to portray Little Slugger, the actual Little Slugger, but he also has to portray Kozuka. Now, Kozuka, going back to my comment of Liam O'Brien, Sam Regal probably had a fun-ass time voice doing some D&D horse shit with this in the booth. <laughs> uh, critical role, hello. Um, and it's so fun and enjoyable, and it's just like, I am a holy warrior! It's great. I love it. But I really don't want to discount the portrayal he has of Little Slugger. Um, even though Little Slugger doesn't... Ha Little Slugger himself as a character doesn't have a ton to say. Like, I think it was... I can't remember who it was. I think it was either Amon or Jet. He still has to emote. He still has to react. And those reactions and those emotions and the little lines that Sam does have as actual Little Slugger are precise, they're poignant, and they know how to hit their mark. 
right when you need it. And it works every single time. And... <laughs> 14-year-old Stephanie got nightmares from this bastard. <laughs> Alright? <laughs> like, if 14-year-old Stephanie got fucking nightmares from a performance like this, I'm gonna say kudos to Sam Regal. <laughs> because it's it's very unsettling and it's poignant and it works very, very well. All in all, Sam Regal's performance is, is very intense and very unsettling and I just absolutely love it. There's just so much to sink your teeth into with that performance. But all three of these performances are a lot of fun. We need to wrap this shit up. We're going to move to final thoughts, boys. Ooh. Let's start with Jet. Give me your final thoughts on the English dub of Paranoia Agent. Okay, yeah. Uh, this is a really good dub. This is a really good show. I am very tired. Go watch it. <laughs> Short, sweet, to the point. I respect that. I respect that. Uh, Amon, your final thoughts, please. Uh, this is a modern classic, and deservedly so. It's extremely good. It's great that it's back in print. Uh, yeah, go see this as soon as you can. Andrew? I'm definitely glad that I've watched this show for the first time three different times. Um, this is a... I see why Satoshi Kon is considered a goddamn classic. There, there classic? Is, is considered a... Master? Master of his craft, yes, thank there you. There you go. Um, I'm also tired as well. Uh, I see why he's considered a master of craft. They're legitimately... He is a style of his own. You can really tell that there's nobody or there will there was nobody quite like him. Mm -hmm. May he rest in peace. I'm glad that his catalog, after being missing for legal reasons for like a good part of a decade, is finally pretty much almost all in its entirety mm -hmm. legally available like, his entire catalog is legally available. Really? There's just one left, and it's Memories, and that's already been rescued. So. That's been rescued and set to be released by Discotech. Yes. So, yeah. Um, this is not a perfect dub. It's definitely got some quirks. It's shown some things of its age, but it's also, as somebody who's watched it for the first time, still pretty much holds up, like, 90 95% of the way. Mm -hmm. I'm, this is a really fucking crazy show. There's new things to appreciate it, about it on its East Watch. It's dark, it's unsettling, it's uncomfortable, but if you really like thought-provoking, like, artsy shit, go watch it. Okay. <laughs> Noah. This is a piece of shit, and I don't know why anybody likes it. I really don't think... Oh, oh wait, hold on. Oh, those are my notes on Icon. No, no, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm about uh, to say, Noah, you're really gonna spend three and a half hours praising a show and then saying it's awful. To my face. <laughs> Well, you can't kill me yet. I mean, we're not even in the same you know state. I so. still watch got... me, Noah. I still have the blue glues back. Watch me, Noah. I threw candy all the way over to fucking Michigan <laughs> for you. I will manage this somehow. Give me your th final thoughts, sir. The, okay, so um, yeah, this is um, a show that I think uh, a lot more people uh, would find a lot of enjoyment out of, and the dub uh, holds up. It it does um, to modern sensibilities to people who have a threshold that they expect and they can't listen to older material because it takes them out of the experience, I don't think that would be a problem for this. Um, and even though the show is bogged down by those middle episodes where Cone was clearly throwing in story ideas that he you liked but he couldn't quite tie into the main conflict, it still holds up pretty well. Uh, and I, I think... Uh, oh, I think... Uh, yeah, I think it uh, it uh, gave us a lot to think about. So anyone out there who is suffering from anxieties or paranoia of their own, seek out help. 
Okay, don't don't give in to the to the madness. You know, seek please, out friends. Please and seek help. professional help. Get get medical help. Just it, join a join a Discord of people who have your best interest in hearts. Okay, just do, do the do that at the very least. Please seek professional help. Don't do drugs. Uh, don't get smacked in the fucking head. Don't get smacked head. in the head. Um. Anyway. Don't, so, don't join a suicide cult either. Don't join a suicide Boy, cult. Please legitimately don't. do not join <laughs> cult. No. They, oh. Okay, look, on the new Toonami broadcast, they actually had to put a suicide hotline warning before they played the episode. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, they did. And um, Well, good for them. Uh, I wanted to grab the biography for a second, but I can remember this offhand. So in the British DVD release of it, they would not release Paranoid Asian unless that scene in the forest with the three nooses was cut on bro- on television right nope on the dvd for in, really in dvd too okay in, nope just dvd okay. are, are, we never aired it. Are, are we in agreement that the three of them died like near the beginning of the episode with yes the they died in the building okay i'm 100 percent convinced died in the they died in the building anyway you didn't believe me at first i didn't believe you at first but it's, anyway it's, i digress I, that I, was my yeah. first viewing i caught it you are a good Shh. film student andrew <laughs> We need to finish this shit. God damn it. I need to go with my final thoughts. So, I have been one. I Again, I've been wanting to cover the show for fucking years. I've been wanting this show rescued for over 15 fucking years. I am so happy it got rescued. Um, show is fun. Has some weird quirks in it. It's fine. It's a nice staple of Cone. You'll enjoy it anyway. It's it's actually, I think, one of the more accessible ones um, that you can get your hands on, honestly. Uh, is the dub... 100% perfect? Absolutely not. There are some flaws. There's a couple maybe like little, little writing quirks. There are a couple of background minor roles that are a little bit janky. Uh, a couple of pronunciations that are a little janky. But it still is able to convey the unsettling nature of this society that Cone has, is picturing and, giving, and portraying to um, the world at large. So I honestly think Paranoia Agent is 100% worth it. <laughs> Please, please, please go watch it. Go watch it. Watch anything. Watch all of Cone's stuff. Because at this point, outside of memories not being re-released quite yet, everything is accessible. So please, please do yourself a favor and watch something related to Cone. But Paranoid Agent is very much a fun one you can really sink your teeth into. And like we were saying, you can discover new little bits on on rewatches all the time. Like, I, dis- I keep discovering things on rewatches all the time. Um, but... Please go watch it. The dub is solid. Not perfect, but it is very solid, um, above average great. Um, if you are interested in watching Paranoia Agent, I have the wonderful pleasure of telling you you are able to do so through Funimation. It was rescued earlier this year. I believe February 2020 uh, was the official announcement of when it was rescued. It is currently streaming on Funimation. It is not streaming anywhere else as of recording this. I double-checked Hulu to be safe, and it was not listed. Holy fuck, that was this year? That was this year. That was the only good thing to come out of February 2020, by the way. You're right. Um, as for home video, because there is a home video release in the very near future. So, uh, the home video release officially is going to be on December 15th. Uh, there is a standard edition set. There is also a steelbook edition set. Um, to which Funimation currently also has a limited deal uh, on their site. If you buy the steelbook version, you can get a Maromi pillow plush kind of thing which thank you for doing that my dreams are coming true however i will also say that it is actually the steelbook version of paranoid 
agent is available now if you go through Best Buy. So this, so you can actually get purchased home paranoid agent for home video right now, but only through Best Buy. But officially, the street date otherwise than that is going to be December fifteenth. Uh, as for us, I'm going to try and bust through this shit. Holy cow! Take a sip. <sighs> yes, I'm going to need this. Huh. Okay. If you're interested in anything that we at DubTug do, if you are watching a, this the video on YouTube, the easiest way to do that, of course, is to subscribe. You can also listen to us on the go through Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please follow us there and show your support on the audio platforms because we love that support as well, not just on YouTube. You can follow us on our social medias. We have Twitter. We have a primarily we have Twitter and we have Twitch, uh, Instagram and Tumblr are basically dead. Uh, if you want to support us in a different form or fashion, we do have a link in two links in the description: one for our Kofi account for one-time donations, a second for our Patreon account if you want to support us in a larger fashion. To which, of course, we have to thank our patrons real quick: our five-dollar patrons, B. Morris, Michelle Travis, Miraculous Corazon, Victor Mayo Borda, and our ten-dollar patrons: Carly Lestical, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, J. Two AK. Jared, Julia W, Marissa Lenti, Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands, and Otaku Anthony. As for anything the rest of us goobers do, um, where do I fucking start? <laughs> Holy shit, my name is Stephanie. I am also sometimes known as Lilac. You can follow me on Twitter at Lilac Anime Review with review being spelled R E V U E. I also have a blog, Life and Times Otaku.wordpress.com. As for Andrew, since he's sitting next to me, he is on Twitter at at Mangaman9000. Sometimes he's also known as Classy Spartan. Uh, He also is on another podcast, Podcast ONA, which leads me to Jet. You can follow Jet on Twitter at Divine Nega. He also is on Podcast ONA with Andrew, and you have a blog as well, AnimationInfinity.com, correct? Yep. Thank you. Um, as for Noah, you can follow him on Twitter at Noah Clue. He also has a YouTube channel, Journey Traveler, where he likes to sometimes do videos on various animations throughout around the world. As for Amon, you can follow him on Twitter at Amonduel with Amonduel US with Duel having two U's in it. Uh, he likes to tweet about things sometimes. And Amon, I love you. Can we please have a Dusty Old song? For Paranoid sure. Agent. Sure. Uh, I had something else in mind originally, but uh, then something happened earlier this week, which is I bought a book, okay. uh, which I also finished, called This Isn't Happening by the music crit- critic Stephen Hyden, and it is all about the making of Radiohead's Kid A. Mm. And uh, much like Paranoid Agent, uh, Kid A was a piece of media that kind of predicted how garbage the future was going to be. Yeah, because uh, I feel like part of the part of the point of Paranoid Agent, unfortunately, is like, hey, you know, all the shit that caused Little Slugger, none of that went away. That yeah. all just persisted. Yeah, it evolved. Uh, it's it's that moment in episode one where you see people shit talking Sukiko on the internet, and it's like, wow, literally nothing has changed in fifteen years. God, no wonder the world's such a hellscape. You're not wrong. Uh, and Kid A does kind of so he describes in the book uh, listening to Kid A. Uh, Kid A sounds like Twitter makes you feel in 2020. Ooh, Ooh yeah, true. Like, one difference there is that uh, Kid A makes me feel bad in a good way, and Twitter just makes me wonder why I'm still on Twitter. Uh, but I'd recommend you listen to Kid A, and if you want a song, uh, there's no better introduction to Kid A than just the opener, everything in the right place. So go listen to that. Beautiful. Oh, Lord. Thank you, boys, for sticking with me for almost four fucking hours. I love you bastards. And thank you for allowing me to be on this literal dream episode of yours. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. 
I'm so happy this happened. Now someone please rescue monster and then that'll be another fucking crazy ass moment in and of itself. That one would be a fucking behemoth because that's 70 plus episodes, but I digress. You think Lil Saga works for anime licenses? I don't know where you're going with this and I don't think I want to right now. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Can, can Lil Slugger attack corporations? What do you think? Well, corporations are people, so I guess he could. I'm, 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 I'm just gonna stop you right there. I'm very tired. But I'm gonna to... stop y'all right there. I think it's time Look. we need to end this fucking craziness. Thank you all for watching. We love you, bastards. We love you, love you so much. Uh, thank you. Have a good night, and otaku on, my friends. Aloha. Otaku on. Good night. Rewatch from the start to find all the missing clues that you didn't see the first time around. Good night. Rock on Boston, rock on Chicago. Don't hire prostitutes. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> and...